1: New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.
0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best
2: wrestling in the whole world. Oh yeah, you can be king, king,
0: king of these nets, you know? What I'm <laughs> TNA is my world. Welcome to Planet Jarrett. Oh, it's semantics! manic. It's not a guitar, it's a cello. It's a cello. Triton, have you conquered the great Alpha Male yet? This is BS. This sucks. Lost my objectivity, and I don't give
1: a Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 37. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. On this episode, we are talking about the month of June from 2005 up to anniversary 2005. I'm Gary Kidney, and I'm joined by my co-host, Liam Jones. Liam, howdy doody.
2: Howdy doody. So, technically, we should be, like, saying we, we watch it from one show cycle every time, because it's not a month. Yeah, but that's like wordy. <laughs> so we're just gonna lie in the first 10 seconds of every episode? Yes. Alright, I'm cool with that. Whereas when I say one month at a time, it's nice It's nice and clear,
1: it's concise, because it's like, oh, it's one pay-per-view cycle at a time, and then, you see, when we get to 2013, we'll switch back to monthly, because they go to four pay-per-views a year and down to two pay-per-views a year at one stage, where if we tried to cover that one pay-per-view cycle at a time, I think it would physically break us. But think of how quickly we'd be done. That's true. We would get through 2015, 2016 pretty darn swiftly. Mm. We would zoom through those years zoom 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 years arguably worth zooming through yeah. so how are you doing i'm fine you excited to talk about the month of june
2: yeah it's okay
1: yeah sure okay anything else going on go see a lot of movies <laughs>
2: yeah i'm just a, just watching too many movies a thorough cinephile I watched Sherlock Jr. That was the highlight. Isn't that like a really old movie? It's from 1923. That is a really old movie. Mm. Do you have anything to say about Sherlock Jr.? It's it's great. It's wonderful. It's a great, great movie. Buster Keaton is crazy. Those stunts that he would just do, and you're watching him and you're like, wow, that's crazy. And then you realize, oh yeah, he definitely just did it too. <laughs> and just fell off things and nearly died and all that. It's just running atop a moving train. Mm-hmm. And then, like, jumping onto... What would you call it? What would you... Like, the water... The, what, are, what are the things that... house water?
1: Waterfalls. No, what? Uh, fountains.
2: No, a const- like, the construction that you... Ha- you put it in, and then you pull it down, and water flows from it. Water wheels. No. A tap. A big tap. A large tap. Then jumping from the train to a big tap... <laughs> As the Mm -hmm. water comes out of it and then landing on the ground. It's just like, it's a lot. You mean a well? A well, an above ground well. We nailed it. (laughs) How (laughs) do neither of us know what this is called? I used to
1: have one. Yeah, you lived in the back of beyonds. You know, you should understand these things. I just have taps where you can go, boo, and water comes out.
2: God, I'm going to like shout what this is at some point during this podcast because it's going to come to my brain, but God, I can't do it right now.
1: I saw Creed this week. Give me your Creed review. It is formulaic to not a fault. <laughs> Whatever the opposite of formulate to a fault. Formulate to a success, I guess. Yeah, to a benefit. It does truly follow the formula of, like, a boxing movie, and it's just, it's great, it rocks. And you'll get the five-minute montage at the end where everyone trains for their big fight, and it's just like, this is peak filmmaking. What more could you want than this? Mm. And I had a major revelation about the world wrestling entertainment while watching Creed. Oh my god. As one tends to do. Yes. So, I was sitting there watching the main event fight in Creed, which is between Jonathan Majors and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Spoilers. The two men on the poster fight at the end of the movie.
2: Those are definitely the characters, too.
1: Yes, it was actually a shoot fight between those two. Oh. And I realized, watching, like, how they presented that fight in Creed, that's what WWE's main event style is
2: now. There was a lot of two kick-out.
1: <laughs> but no, there's a lot of, like, monologues. There's a lot of, like, explaining the character motivations through words rather than physicality, even if there is plenty of physicality. A lot of
2: telling and not doing.
1: And just a lot of, like, WWE's main event style, the Roman Reigns style of the last, like, two years, three years, is functionally, like, the kind of wrestling match you would have if your wrestling match was the main event of a movie. As opposed to an actual professional wrestling show, it, it's presented like that, where it's like the moves don't really matter, the like the the in between stuff doesn't matter. It's all about the story beats and the the, the broad emotions, and I mean broad with a capital B, because it's as broad as can be. And it's not really about like the nitty gritty of professional wrestling anymore. They, and I know they've always said we make movies. It's been Vince's slogan for thirty years. But now I really do think literally, it's like they they really just do make movies now, and not good ones. They make one movie. Yeah, they make the same movie over and over again. Which, actually, to be fair, they also do with Creed, but Creed is better. Because mm, it's a movie. And I had that big revelation sitting there watching the end of Creed, just being like, this is what WWE are trying to do, and have been trying to do for a while now. Roman Reigns should be the next Creed villain. He'd be really good at that. Like, a Creed 4 villain being Roman Reigns would actually growl. <laughs> Yeah, I think he might struggle following in the footsteps of Jonathan Majors, who is just so good—a <laughs> dude who is on top of the world right now. He is truly a main event heel. You could drop him to pro wrestling, and he'd be much better than Roman Reigns.
2: I gotta admit, like a few movies going right now, got me excited through their trailer more than Creed Three. Mm. I was like, "What?" That Creed Three trailer is so cool. <laughs> yeah, and there's a bunch of anime shit in Creed Three. They say it was like based on like the ra- ra- Shonen rivalries, so.
1: Yeah, because like Michael B.
2: Jordan is directing this one, and he's clearly a nerd. Oh, he's a gigantic... He did a Naruto fashion campaign.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> like, for their streetwear collection. Yeah. He's a big old nerd. He's Keith Lee.
1: And now he's putting it in major league Hollywood movies.
2: Yeah, of course. That's what I would do.
1: It's funny, there's a bunch of, like, Puss and Boots stuff as well that I think was lifted from Attack on Titan. So anime is taking over the world.
2: It's a giant medium. Anime is influencing the world. I was thinking recently that I think my next film project of stuff that I would go through and watch is going to be like the classic anime stuff, like mm-hmm. as in movies. So, like Akira. Yeah, Akira and Ghost in the Shell and the Studio Ghibli stuff that I haven't seen. I've seen no
1: Ghibli. You're and as a piece like, of I shit. know,
2: I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> as like a dude
1: who's like super into anime, it's like my biggest blind spot.
2: Huh, I like that you just said. On on podcast through audio as a dude who's super into anime. <laughs> <laughs> I said animation. I didn't. Say yeah, anime. but you cut out and it just said anime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but
1: it's it's like my biggest blind spot because I know it would make me weep and I should really get around to watching it and I still haven't.
2: I have like a kind of weird, unique perspective where some of the my most pivotal and first things I ever saw with Studio Ghibli movies. Mm. There's a good chance the first movie I cognitively remember watching was Spirited Away. See, for me, that's like The Lion King, which is like two sides of the same coin. But <laughs> Haha, I watched Kimber the White Lion first. <laughs> oh, right. Well done. Yeah. My mom wasn't like an anime nerd or anything, mm. but she is someone who's always appreciated film from other countries. So I think that's just what she went to. Yeah. I always found it funny that I my the earliest things I ever remember watching were Kimber the White Lion and Studio Ghibli stuff.
1: Wait, you did actually watch Kimber the White Lion? You weren't doing a bit?
2: No, that yeah, that 100%. I watched Kimber the White Lion and the sequels, and then I saw Lion King. And then you're like they ripped it off and you sent them I like, was. The, the... As a kid, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> did you send them like the frame by frame
1: side by sides to get them to do the lawsuit, which I think was ultimately thrown out?
2: Nah, uh, no, but I was I was very like weirded out. That's a kid, for sure. I do like that everyone's like,
1: they ripped off Kim of the White Lion when they were actually just doing Hamlet. Yeah, but with lions. They
2: should do Hamilton with lions.
1: (laughs) Yes, that should be the next Lion King movie. Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) But with real lions. Just Simba shouting, I will not give up my shot. Which actually kind of works for the movie, actually. There you go. That does kind of apply to the Lion King movie.
2: That should be the next, like, Disney live action quotations
1: movie. Uh, We will make that movie if you head to tnachat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me. Mm -hmm. And give us lots of money. Enough money to fund Hamilton with lions. Excuse me, it's called Animalton. Animalton, okay. Thank you. That that, that that doesn't work at all but animalton we will be Animal animalton okay
2: you can't say it doesn't work at all it works like 10%
1: I don't think so but I'll give it to you I'll, I'll, be, I'll be nice what the hell if you do head to teenagead.com patreon.com slash me where you can support the show and get so much more for it you can get our Global Force Wrestling show you can get our Wrestling Society X show you can get our Monday Night War show you can get our ongoing Rain show you can get our ongoing 2012 PWG show all that sitting there along with watch-alongs drafts end of year awards star ratings show notes ad-free episodes of this show so if you're ever like I don't like that ad it's kind of annoying one dollar a month you can get rid of
2: it and if you ever go I don't like that host they're kind of annoying you're fucked No, we actually, we pay actors to deliver the podcast beat for beat in different
1: voices and accents just to appeal we don't do that. But if you give us lots of money and you want us to, we will. (laughs) We'll hire voice actors to play the roles of us. Uh, But if you'd like all that, you can head to tnhat.com, patreon.com, slash kiddingme, where you can subscribe and get access to over 100 pieces of exclusive audio. Over 100. Wow, what a deal. What great value. That's so many I couldn't even count that high. I can't count that high. It's a good thing Patreon does for me. <laughs> nice. That brings us to the news for this month of June 2005 as we're talking about all the build up the anniversary The big stories this month are kind of carryovers from the stories last month. There is the ongoing TV saga and there is some real messiness about the, the ownership of TNA right now.
2: I'm shocked by both of these developments.
1: So you may have noticed, Liam, while watching these episodes, that there were only two episodes of Impact. I did
2: notice that.
1: That is because TNA's 52-week television deal with Fox Sportsnet expired with the May 27th edition of Impact. And that's it. We're done. No more. See ya! Technically with the May 28th replay PW Torch, actually. <laughs> Knocking TNA off TV until the Slammiversary pay-per-view. So they had two TVs coming out of Heart Justice, which we'll talk about in depth in a minute, but in which they loaded up to build that pay-per-view. They basically did the entire month in two TVs, which made one of the TVs really good. and One of them pretty good.
2: Yeah, they should do it every time.
1: Just two TV pay-per-view cycles. Just load those babies up with all the pay-per-view programs you can get into them.
2: Yeah, that would rule.
1: And then fill out the rest of the card with random X-Division matches featuring returning talent that people like.
2: You'd think you'd run out eventually.
1: There's a lot of good X-Division guys.
2: Yeah, but when you're doing 24 pay-per-views a year...
1: Mm, well, they do 12, but... <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. <laughs> oh, if you shoved it down to two? Yeah. So you're saying that they should also increase the number of pay-per-views? It's not just two weeks TV that they throw out there at some stage?
2: Yeah, what are they going to do?
1: Just not have TV? <laughs> That's what they did here. They did yeah. two weeks, took three weeks off, and then did a pay-per-view.
2: Oh, okay. I I thought we were going to do two weeks, pay-per-view, two weeks, pay-per-view, two weeks, pay-per-view. Damn right. That should be our cycle these days. They'd make a lot more money. Would they?
1: (laughs) For a time. I guess it was in the streaming era, it might make more sense. Mm. The deal, which called for 52 weeks of impact programming beginning with June 4, 2004, has not been renewed by either side. There was, as we talked about, a renewal on the table that Fox Net were willing to do for six months, but TNA thought they had too many options in the market to take themselves off the market for six months, so they did not want to stay with Fox Net. and also the deal offered by Fox Net was still a paid deal, where they were paying to get on the air, and TNA were still like, we, we would rather be paid, or at least get an ad split
2: they're like there's a chance that we maybe make money so you're the least likely option at this point yeah and like if there was an option to
1: be like month to month with fox they probably would have stayed just so they're still on tv Mm. but fox don't really want to be like ah yeah we'll help you out while you look for another tv deal
2: (laughs) yeah that's not great
1: the non-renewal is not a surprise since TNA has been in the midst of negotiating potential television deals with either WGN or Spike Boo. TV as a way to Yay. keep the TNA programming on the air after the already established May 27th expiration date with FSN. At one point, it was believed that a TNA-WGN deal was done, with Boo. both parties keeping quiet about it until a strategically timed announcement. The expectations were that TNA would air on WGN on Monday nights beginning June 20th, live for two hours, starting one hour before Raw. The show would be live every other week with the taped show taking place the day after the live event however negotiations may have been derailed at the last moment in part due to concerns WGN had over TNA's ownership situation which we'll talk about in a moment PW Torch mudded well there was a lot of like like Dave was so confident to, to, to like going as far as to say TNA was expected to announce likely before you read this them going on WGN on Monday
2: nights so it they, they was close it was really really close I'm very curious like Well, they obviously wanted the Spike one more. That was like their shoot for the moon one. Mm. But they were like pretty content with the WGN deal. Because yeah, WGN is a bigger network than FSN.
1: I do think it's still paid. I'm not sure. The, obviously, because the deal never came to fruition, it never got deep enough to, like, the the exact details of those deals being published. I know apparently hmm. one of the sticking points was that TNA at least wanted WGN to cover the costs of production, and WGN were like, ah, no.
2: Hmm. That would be a big win for them, considering how much they are currently
1: spending on their production. The interesting thing is, reading through The Observer, Dave is actually more pro-WGN than he is Spike. Hmm. Because he believes, like, a prime time slot on WGN, even head-to-head with an hour of Raw, will give the company more attention than replacing Velocity at Saturday night. Because it's clear, if TNA does exist, like, UFC had a block from... 8 to 11 on Saturday night and it would be clear TNA would slot in at that 11pm hour which is where Velocity aired so they'd be 11pm Saturday night as opposed to a prime time slot on Monday on WGN what I didn't think he factored in was like one and he does mention it a little bit but I think he's raw he he doesn't do the math right in, uh, in his head to be like Spike is clearly the better option there but one airing right after Ultimate Fighter is like a big boon yeah one of the biggest shows of the year And two, even if you can slot right into that Velocity slot, you then have a captive wrestling audience on Saturday nights. It's not a huge number of people, but it's a number of people who are used to going to Spike at 11pm every Saturday, and suddenly Velocity won't be there and Impact will be.
2: A better show.
1: Yeah, clearly. And apparently, like, Velocity does a 0.5 for WB in that slot, and TNA does, like, 0.2s, 0.3s on FSN. So the thought is, like, Spike is a much better network than FSN is with better penetration. I think it has, like, 30 million more homes than, than FSN does at this stage. So if you drop TNA on that much better network, even in a not particularly great time slot, it should at least be able to match the Velocity numbers. And I think that's probably the argument TNA ultimately ended up making, where it's like, look, we're much cheaper than WB, and also you can drop us there and we'll at least do Velocity. Velocity numbers. That's the mm. worst case scenario. That will at least do velocity numbers. And if it goes better from there, it goes better from there. And I think that's ultimately the argument that I'm winning. And I'd imagine part of the reason that they did end up dropping out of negotiations with WGN in favor of Spike uh, is because those Spike deal negotiations probably went at least further along. That they're like, listen, we want the Spike deal more than we want WGN.
2: And I also think there's a lot of potential behind like replays of the show on Spike as well. Mm. It's like yeah and then we'll chuck whatever episode of impact on on a random tuesday or some shit and it's like that's also going to be a lot more beneficial as well because like these big networks they always have content that they need outside of their peak hours so if you can get your show on one of their shows that may not be at a great time you're probably going to get a couple other replays of your show on other not great times but other times that are going to have audiences that weren't watching that first time which is ultimately what happened at FSN, where they did get
1: a bunch of replays. Mm. And I think the biggest favor that was ultimately ended up being done to them is they avoided going Monday- head-to-head on Mondays at this stage. Well,
2: that's so stupid.
1: <laughs> it is. It's just the dumbest idea that they can't let go of. And as we talked about, like, they got killed in 2010. As we mentioned yeah. in the last episode, they got killed... In a stronger position. Yeah, in a, a stronger position with much, much bigger names they still got
2: absolutely massacred so can you just imagine with these like oh okay guys we like, got DDP. The, the companies aren't even comparable at this point no so i like and and even presentation wise like i think to a a general fan like looking at these two shows it, it's, it's a bit of a not a steep learning curve or like barrier to entry rather but i'm sure there is a level of like these shows don't even look like they're on the same level
1: yeah it's not like asylum to WWE level comparisons where it would be like oh that's just the tiny minor, minor league company and this is like the major league wrestling company but even like even the impact zone it's just like that's a sound stage versus a 10,000 seat arena they're yeah. they're just not the same they're just not the same and ultimately that was probably a problem going to head to head in 2010 as well where it's just like they're just they're just not the same and we talked about this I think on the, the Patreon show we did the Monday Night War Patreon show where we we're like TNA might have more star power than WWE did in 2010 yeah <laughs> when you look at it, both the young star power and then the likes of Hogan Flair, Hardy Angle, Sting. Uh, like, those are... Or those are huge names. That's, like, really good levels of star power. And obviously here they have Nash. They could have had Nash.
2: Nash and Raven.
1: <laughs> they already ousted DDP last month, so they don't even have him anymore. (laughs) And Nash isn't even on TV. Oh, because he's off shooting movies. So they did announce the future of the TNA programming on Slammiversary, so you might be asking, well, they don't have a TV deal right now. It's a good thought to have if you're thinking that at the moment. That at the moment while the negotiations have fallen through with WGN, and they don't really want to be on FSN anymore, even though FSN is still open, like that's an option on the table. If all else falls through, FSN they could go back there.
2: TNA and FSN have a deal that if they... Are both 40 years old and neither of them are married <laughs> they'll get together again
1: yeah so like fsn it's not like a burned bridge but it is very much DNA don't want to be on FSN anymore. And also, I think if it was like, if it really came down to it, it's like, go back on FSN or close the company, I think they'd be like, we tried our best to get this TV deal. We paid for it for a year to try and like prove our concept and build some ratings that we can shop around and it didn't work. So let's just close up shop. I think that probably would have been the calculus at that stage if they didn't get a spike deal. Yeah. I really don't think Panda would have been like, oh, you know, we'll keep paying for FSN.
2: <laughs> It'll happen eventually, sure. Well, we already know that, sort of, that is the, the internal struggle right now, where, like, Panda is getting sick of dumping all this money into this company, and they want to start seeing some return on investment.
1: And we'll talk about that more in the, the next story, but before that, uh, during Samiversary, Mike today announced that TNA's Impact programming will be found exclusively on TNAwrestling.com each Friday until TNA finds its way back onto television. A special taping was held after Slammiversary on the 21st The taped a month's worth of TV heading into No Surrender. So they will be back on weekly TV. This is partially to fulfill international commitments because they still have TV internationally and they still need to deliver new episodes for that. They'll air a little on syndication and on on I think Sun Sports is the network they'll still air Impact on in a little bit. But the primary destination for Impact in the year 2005 was going going. going to the website where they taught you how to download BitTorrent
2: (laughs) or you download the
1: episode of Impact. (laughs) This is... The 2005 Honor Club. I was looking at an archived version of the the website where it like it has that little descriptor, that little you go here, you click this link and then you download. You know, I can't remember if it was it uTorrent or BitTorrent, it was one or the other, and then you can uh, download the episode of Impact and watch it. And like the, the download link is actually still active. You can like find the the download link, but there's no like Cedars or anything, so you can't actually download the episode. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was like so excited when that link still worked. I expected it to just go to like a dead link, but the link still worked and. And then I was like, oh, there's
2: there's no one to seed my download. All right, guys, let's everyone get on the Wayback Machine and we'll we'll start seeding old episodes of Impact. If you downloaded this
1: episode in yeah. 2005 and still have it somehow sitting in your BitTorrent,
2: please open your BitTorrent so I can download it from you. That is a, an official recognition of a way to download old Impact.
1: Yeah, it's legal. They, they, that, that's the way, that, that would be a perfectly legal way to download Impact. No one can kick it out to me. I like that saying, as if I'm not the person who would be giving out to me.
0: (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: So yeah, TNA will air online for the summer as they try to work out their TV deal. So the other messy side of the story, as we're talking about, Panda are getting a little angsty. Mm. They have poured, as Dave estimates, about twenty million into this company so far. That's so much money, with no sign of return. So there, there is a bunch of people coming together to try and buy out DNA. Now, PW Torch conflate two deals here to the, into one. that I think are two. Dave has more details on the mean two. So there's, there's two deals on the table. The first is fronted by hacksaw Jim Duggan, of course. Where Hulk Hogan is supposedly like the the backer there as well as some international investors. So Hulkster is sniffing around TNA at the moment. And then mm. the other is a prospective group of investors associated with NWA Ohio proposed to buy out TNA with a controlling interest. The NWA Ohio website reported the following. Grammatical errors are verbatim from the web posting. <laughs> the Nelson Corporation and NWA Ohio has placed an offer on the table to purchase TNA's 71% from Panda Energy. So they, they want uh, they want 71% they're willing to offer. I think it was 10 million on the table. And like there's a bunch of stuff in this where like, he gets Frank Dickerson's name wrong like this past week dave uh who's the 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 front man for dave nelson met with frank richardson they wrote on the website ceo of tna wrestling and also with jeff and jerry jarrett like his name's dickerson which is liam's favorite name in the world (laughs) so memorable that that dave dave nelson here can't even remember who he met with
2: it feels like he just doesn't want to say dick yeah he's
1: like richard (laughs) It is uncertain of TNA's response. However, with or without TNA, the plans of building another multi-million dollar wrestling company is in the works and with the assistance of Jim Duggan and Silent Backers. So there's like two deals going on there, uh, some of which has Jim Duggan, some of which has Hulk Hogan. And then like this Dave Nelson one is kind of like the, the one that's silently being backed by Jeff and Jerry Jarrett or presumed to be silently backed by Jeff and Jerry Jarrett. Nelson and the Jarretts are said to be tight while the relationship between the Jarretts and the character family who own Panda Energy is said to be showing signs of strain. So this is this is the point where I think two things are happening here. Dixie is very firmly being like, this is my company. Yeah. There there is a period up until now where there is like a little bit of a power struggle. Is it Jeff's company or is it Dixie's company? And I think this is firmly the point in history where Dixie is like, I'm in charge here. I am the captain now. If it was a Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> that is what Dixie walked into the room and said to Jeff Jarrett. And of course. The Jarretts don't seem to have taken that particularly well.
2: Well, it's not their money that they've been siphoning into this, so... And for some reason, they want...
1: Actually, no, they don't want it to be. They still want it to be other people's money, but they want to be in charge. Well, that is the perfect scenario, to be fair. But, like, there's a reason dixie and like frank dickerson who's been put in charge as ceo on the panda side have like stepped in more firmly to take control and that's because this company has spent a lot of money for three years and shown very very few signs of actually making any of that money back yeah so they reached the stage where it's like, we gave Jeff and Jerry basically two and a half. Then we brought in Dusty to kind of replace Jeff in the book, and now we're trying, kind of leading Jeff out of the business side of things and having somebody else come in and run more of the business side of things. Because, like, they gave him an honest college try.
2: Yeah, and now they're like, we need to try something else, because clearly this
1: isn't working. Because there's only so long you can say, we understand the wrestling, you stick to the business, before you say, do you even understand either of these things? Mm. So there's, there's a lot of... like. Political maneuvering here, and I do think this is while it's also the point that that Dixie takes from control. It's the point where Jeff and Dixie's relationship strains because of that, and they're they're on very much opposite sides of the fence here. We'll have more to say about Jeff's behavior when we talk about the the main event of King of the Mountain and why the angle that played out on the pay per view played out the way it did. But it's it's not going well here. So they made that offer of 10 million for the 71 percent for of Panda's stake. Which is a great deal less than Panda had put into this company. Again, Dave estimates that to be $21 million. So Panda, for selling the company, I guess they'd make some of their money back might be the argument. Oh yeah, then, it, then it's a $10 million loss and not a $20 million loss. So you at least get 10 back, but Panda didn't even respond.
2: They probably think they have a better chance of turning it around into a money-making thing.
1: Yeah, especially because, like, if you do have Spike on the table, if Spike is still there, showing at least some degree of interest, that is your legit route out. Spike's a real network. Yeah. So two weeks later on their website, they posted the following. We feel that more than adequate time was given for Pand Energy to respond, and at this time, we'll move forward with the start of a new wrestling company to kick off early fall of this year. Like, there's rumors that the Jarrets might even jump to that company. Good. They also start saying that, like, the WGN deal is dead, which wasn't public at the time. And then they're like, oh, sorry, a few weeks later, if we caused you any problems. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this is getting pretty messy. Where the Jarrets and the characters are at odds. The Car- Jarrett's are backing bids to buy out the Carters. The Carters are like, nah, because I don't think they really have much interest in actually selling at this stage, unless maybe they can make their money back, which they can't.
2: Yeah. If they got a $30 million deal,
1: mm. they consider it. Yeah. Like, they'd be like, all right, we make $10 million back. That's probably more than we'll ever make in the history of this company. So sell it. Sell it. Sell it. Sell it. Take yeah, it. Take it we're on not, We're not taking it at a, at a loss at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are office workers who are apparently siding with Jarrett and aware of the game plan to try and nudge Panda out of the way. Which, again, I guess it's because it's not the Jarrett's money that they're fine with this. If it was the Jarrett's money, they'd probably be like, uh, we'd rather not pour money down this pit. But because they can get like another money mark in and maintain their control. Because that's what this just comes down to, isn't it? It's like the Jarrett's are out of power and the Jarrett's would like to remain in power.
2: I need to contact Sponge Guy. The Leck Corporation needs to come in. <laughs> he can sponsor every TNA show would be great.
1: Yeah, office people are taking sides. There, there's a lack of communication about the TV deal that's causing some anxiety. I think because there is ultimately nothing to announce. It was the these people who actually publicly stated for the first time that negotiations with
2: WGN had broken
1: down, which I don't think went particularly went over particularly well.
2: Oh no, they would be getting a call from my panda lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> And I think also the fact
1: that these people are alive that, that there, there's like an ownership struggle within the company might be off-putting to a potential television partner. That that's also a theory floated this month that WGN might might look at this and be like, it's a little messy, we don't want to invest in this. Yeah. Uh, With TV done, the May 31st television tapings that were meant to tape through the Slammiversary pay-per-view were cancelled, but TNA did pay everyone who was meant to appear on on those television tapings.
2: Which is actually quite surprising considering some people still haven't been paid for the television tapings that they worked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I do think again, in a politically dicey situation where you ultimately probably do have people taking sides. You do have people being like, I'm Team Jarrett or I'm Team Dixie. Which I imagine yeah. there's probably more Team Dixie than Team Jarrett at this stage. Especially after the pay-per-view. Well, and also
2: like, Wrestler specifically.
1: mm it, it's probably like they're sitting there. It's a pretty easy win to be like, we'll stay, still pay you for those canceled shows, and you'll you'll earn some goodwill that way, which seems to be the case.
2: Jimmy Hart also earning some goodwill.
1: Yeah, several hundred fans came to Universal Studios on May 31st for the canceled TV taping. Jimmy Hart, who did so on his own and without company requesting him to do so, went to Universal since he lives near the area and told fans there would be no taping, but there would be a show on June 19th, that's anniversary.
2: Now they probably got to at least take some pics with Jimmy Hart.
1: Hmm. As far as the future of Jeff and likely Jerry Jarrett in TNA, that is also up in the air and something that could break as early as this week. Jarrett's backers, most of whom are still unnamed, but somehow Jim Duggan is a conduit to one deal... (laughs) And another conduit is Dave Nelson, an independent wrestling promoter from NWA, Ohio. Made the offer, Dave recaps all everything that went down about how, basically, Jeff's out of power, and Jeff is looking to get in power. And potentially, if they can't buy out the company, this dude may also start a new company. Which there was constant threats of in the post-WCW years, of like these money marks coming along with grand promises that ultimately go absolutely nowhere.
2: Mm, I was going to say, I wonder if they actually even... Like which company this ended up becoming, or if they announced anything.
1: I I know they announced some like TV dates that the I don't think that ever happened. Maybe someone can correct us on that if. And that was a
2: 14-year-old Tony Khan.
1: Yeah, if Dave Nelson actually ever followed through with it. I can't remember the talent they announced for those shows, but they were like just old names from the past that would obviously never sustain a national product in 2005. Which <laughs> NWA
2: TNA never would have
1: done. It's an upsetting way to say 2005. <laughs> I, I've up my, upset myself with that choice of phrasing.
2: The olden days.
1: But the thought is that there is a chance that the Jarrets would jump to start that new company again. God. It's Don't. one again. It's one of those things. It's like this, I think that's ultimately bluster and trying to leverage Panda into doing something that you're like, oh, you won't have the Jarrets anymore, and Jerry would be running the company, and Jeff would be the big star again, but. The characters, I think, just kind of saw through it and just kind of soldiered on. And then Jarrett made a show of himself before Slammiversary. We'll talk about that in a
2: sec. You're doing, like, all these teasers and foreshadowing to this Jeff Jarrett story. better be the biggest story of all time. Well, it's it's probably what you would expect it to be, but...
1: (laughs) Billy Gunn told Between the Ropes Radio that he hopes TNA will be able to find a better TV time slot. He said the good thing is that the people who are doing the booking and talent decisions are listening to the people who know what they're doing. However, Billy said he does not think going head-to-head with Vince on Monday nights is a good idea for TNA because they're not strong enough to do it.
2: Hell yeah, daddy-ass. You gotta give Billy the
1: book. He's the only one smart enough to see going head-to-head with WWE is a terrible idea. It really is. Uh, Dusty Rhodes is out. We mentioned he's out as Booker last month. He's also out as Talent now. He was removed from his position as Director of Authority on the pre-show for Slammiversary as Larry Zavisco uh, took that slot and then kind of buried Dusty on the way out.
2: These two don't like each other at this point. We talked about it before where Dusty was like, fake-ass legend guy to on himself living legend. <laughs> because Dusty was basically told they don't really want them there
1: anymore and then Dusty went on a website and was like, you can't fire me, I quit. He did the Raven promo from TV. He's like, you can't fire me, I quit. <laughs>
2: uh... And then...
1: Larry Zija was on TV. He was like, some people talking about how they quit when they were actually let go. Anyway, let's talk about Slammiversary. Mm-hmm. Dusty was asked to be part of the new committee. But as we mentioned last month, he, he has uh, problems with people. Uh, um, not just that, That's doing... it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can end with he has problems with people. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he wants to spend more time focusing on his motivational speech career rather than carrying out an on-air role. Sure. Hulk Hogan, who never signed a deal with WWE, is again making his noises and playing his games. We're doing this again, Liam. (laughs) We're doing this forever. Dave reports that he talked with Damore and told him he's interested in coming in,
2: but he wants to work a program with Triton. (laughs) So he can get Triton up and running strong. So he's definitely just, like, working them so that his friend gets a better push, right? (laughs) maybe? Yeah, I'll come in, I'll come in, just uh, yeah, push push my friend.
1: There is a similar quip from Damore, because WWE apparently more aggressively ramp up hiring people and trying to lock down people because of DNA potentially going head-to-head with them on Monday nights, and there's a, a, a quote in the Observer from Scott Damore being like, I'm gonna start leaking some of my friends I can't hire are coming in just so they'll get jobs with WWE. <laughs> We're in the little uh, talent coming or going corner here. There is no interest at all in using Loki. He made a lot of enemies and said a lot of things about people in the company, including Jeff Jarrett and the booking committee which largely has been left alone thus far when it came to booking decisions and they were but they were told no Loki it's like you can bring in other people
2: but no Loki well you know that's what Loki does until they do in fact actually bring back Loki so do you get mad at the sun for rising or the birds for chirping no no so you don't get mad at Loki for burying the company. Loki
1: is a beautiful soul who pops his head in for six to 18 month runs,
2: melts down and leaves. It's, it's, you can't get mad at Loki for Loki. He has like six of those in TNA history. <laughs> That's one company. It's head-to-head
1: with him and Madison Rains. Wikipedia, for my favorite, like, you know, the way they're like, first return to Impact, second yeah. return to Impact, third return to Impact. Uh, rules. Samojo signed a TNA contract Woo! on June 14th. That was loud even for me. Yeah. The provisions of the agreement with TNA is they can't pull him from Ring of Honor and that he can do potential New Japan tours. In an effort to get internet buzz on the show, and while that, uh, Oh, the Dave, I fucking hate the way he writes. <laughs> I should delete the asides before I actually... But <laughs> that's on me when I'm copying things into the there's, show notes. I
2: like that there's two little, like, comma side pieces in a row. It makes it impossible to read. And again, I
1: said I, I should just take them out while I'm doing the show notes instead of sitting here trying to read Dave, in, like, word for word. And it's I want to try and do
2: it. I want to see if I can do it. Okay. <clears throat> in an effort to get an internet buzz on the show... And while that is better than nothing, I'm not sure what it really means. They wanted to book CM Punk vs. Joe on Slammiversary, coming off the buzz of their match of the year, high-placing last year in Chicago. However, Punk turned it down because of the WWE offer. Joe was leaning towards turning down Going, but is now scheduled to debut against Sanjay Dutt. Punk irked some people here by saying he wasn't going to come in and work with Joe because they weren't going to let him go 45 minutes. Mm. The reaction was... Good luck in your five-minute matches on Velocity. Amazing Red and Alex Shelley have agreed to return and maybe on the pay-per-view in a six-way elimination match, half true, which is still in the process of having the prelims fully decided. Shelley has agreed to a deal as he is a Demore trainee. Shocker may face Shelley as a deal for Mr. Aguilar collapsed. So there you go. Damore is bringing in good wrestlers. Yeah, he's bringing in two of my all-time
1: favorites. So can't be mad. If you go to the watch along, there is a moment where Alex Shelley interrupts Shocker during a backstage promo and Liam actually squeals <laughs> because I didn't I didn't recognize him at first. then I was like, "Ah! Yeah, because he's wearing, like, glasses and a leather jacket. He's wearing, doing his best Triton cosplay. Mm. And Liam, like, literally squeals. He jumps out of his chair. Taken by surprise by Alex Shelley. I mean, wouldn't you? Again, like, listen, Punk's never going to TNA at this stage. I think both because of how his first run went down, and he signed a WWE contract this month. <laughs> and he wants to do 45 minutes. <laughs> but could you imagine if, like, Punk and Joe had, like, a five-star match here randomly as uh, Joe's
2: debut at Slammiversary? Yeah. Yeah, I could. See, that, I tell you, it's the greatest power of all time. The ability to look in alternative universes. And see what happens. See what happens with TNA
1: if Punk is there. I think he yeah. still probably leaves in two years because he's CM Punk,
2: but... Yeah. You know, it's a... 05 to 07 is a quite a pivotal time in the company's history, so... It's a quite pivotal
1: time in Punk's history. Because, like, he just wins the Ring of Honor title this month. Does the Summer of Punk. And does the Summer of Punk. So, yeah, this is a, a pretty big time for CM Punk at the moment.
2: But who gives a shit about that guy? We got someone Joe.
1: That's true. We do got Joe locked down. There's no word on Danielson. But as I said, I still think WWE was always his endgame and TNA was never a thing he took seriously. I wish somebody who has a, an, an interview with Brian Danielson, ask him, please.
2: <laughs> He'd be very thrown off by that line of questioning, I feel. The You've Got to Be Kidding Me podcast would like to know why you never really went to TNA, huh? Yeah, get us on the media scrums. That's true. We'll ask him and post-Revolution, uh, which is exactly <laughs> dating the <this> show severely. <laughs> Brian Donison, you've just won the AEW title. <laughs> mm. How did you feel about in 2005 when Scott De Moore reached out to you in regards to a TNA run? Or if he even reached out. You were just listed as a per- potential person he would have wanted. I no, see, I'm leading the question. Ah, Making it antagonistic, so he feels like he has to respond. So, no Loki, Joe is in, no Punk, Shelley and Rudder back. I wonder if my interview class lecturers would listen to that and be like, No, <laughs> did you learn nothing? <laughs> what did they teach you about interviewing? I don't remember. It was like two years ago. So they did teach you nothing? (laughs) Mm. It was basically like, chase him down. Don't let him get away with anything. Mm. A a relatively short news
1: section this month because both of the big stories are basically coming off of the stories we talked more extensively about in the Hard Justice episode with a a TV deal coming up and a bunch of petty sniping going on backstage.
2: Don't worry, we have more. So that does bring us to broad topics for the month, and we shall start with, of course, the return of King of the Mountain. Well, obviously, my pick for the King of the Mountain is the King of the Mountain himself, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, how could he possibly lose the match that's his namesake? Of course, it'd be
1: ridiculous. Could never, ever happen can't lose it if he's not in it. So the May 20th episode of Impact, the first of two episodes, a great episode of TV, by the way. Maybe
2: one of the best, if not the best.
1: Yeah, we were talking about this on the Watch Along, where I I still think the first episode of Impact is the best. I think it felt like just the most high-energy big deal. It also had, like, probably better matches on it. Yeah, but this is, like, such a mile a minute, 45 minutes of television, where there are so many angles. Yeah. It is just stuffed to the gills with things happening in a way that this television show rarely is. Sometimes you go months without as much as happened in this episode of TV.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, it's just action, and it feels like a real show. Mm. Like a real pro wrestling show.
1: It's not just dudes coming out to squash people for no
2: reason. Yeah, no, it, everything felt like it, it had purpose and was building to something.
1: So Mike Taney's in the ring, which usually is a harbinger of the King of the Mountain Jeff Jarrett, but this time he introduces the new NWA world champion, the phenomenal AJ Styles.
2: You are, you are, I am, I am.
1: AJ comes out, the crowd is very happy to see him. AJ thanks the fans all over the world. That's me. You're, you're a fan all over the world? Mm-hmm. Were you happy to see him? Y- yes. Were you the one that motivated him to beat Jeff Jarrett? I like to think so. Mm. Uh, My favourite part of this promo is every time AJ Styles finishes a sentence or pauses halfway through a sentence, Mike today makes like the most positive affirming faces. Just an old time face guy. (laughs) He makes so many faces in the like AJ's promo was like 90 seconds tops and Mike today makes maybe 130 faces. A mile a minute, a face a minute. Like AJ's, like thank you the fans, and Mike Taneo will do like a hell yeah face, or he'll be like I'm NWA champion, I'm so happy, and he'll like nod to the camera. He's like so happy that one, he's out here with somebody other than Jarrett, which I think pleases him first and foremost. Big creepy smile on him. And two, he's trying to like sell the idea that like this is a good AJ promo, and it's nothing wrong with it, but it's it's not like wow, what a promo from the new world champion. Tane brings up that Abyss is now number one contender. He won the 21 gauntlet match at
2: Hard Justice. He's one of the contenders, sure. Abyss keeps getting screwed over. It's because he doesn't have a manager to to, to manage his contracts. Yeah, because he, he got
1: his contract wet after he, he won the um, Full Metal Mayhem match. No, the other one. Final Assault. Whichever one he won. No, Full mm-hmm. Metal Mayhem was where he became number one contender. A- and then he handed that wet contract to Tracy and Trinity and they lost it. It just disintegrated, so that's how he lost his first world title match. And this time he be- he beats twenty men to earn one of five spots at King of the Mountain. Yeah, I guess technically he beats nineteen men. He did not beat himself. Like, he did beat himself. <laughs> <laughs> Worked himself into a shoot. So yeah, today's like oh he's no more contender, and AJ's like I faced him at Lockdown. He's a true monster. Before, of course, Jeff Jarrett does, does interrupt. Jarrett's like, you only won because of Ortiz. And AJ's like, well, if you want your rematch, come and take this belt from me right now before Monty jumped up from behind. Tanay did the same thing Don West did when Dustin Rhodes was hit with a chair. He's like, AJ, look out! But he still got beat up by Monty.
2: A great alpha bomb.
1: Mm, he fought back, Monty dropped him with the alpha bomb. Abyss's music hit, he charged to the ring, and there was a, a big whose side is he on moment as he feigned to help AJ, but then dropped him with a black hole slam before Sean Waltman and AMW made the ultimate save.
2: It's a good segment.
1: Yeah, good angle, gets things moving toward a king of the mountain where you already know, like, all right, you have Styles, you have Abyss, you have Jarrett, you have Monty. Those are your four guys. You know that from this segment, which is always a nice bit of TV.
2: Oh, and Jarrett, of course. I said Jarrett. Oh, sorry, I thought you skipped past... <laughs> I instinctively
1: skips past Jarrett in my brain at all times, but I did say him that time. All right. You're like Jarrett's. like, it's an agenda against me. Yeah. Uh, Jarrett missed a May 21st booking with Cyberspace Wrestling in Wayne, New Jersey, telling the promotion at the last minute he couldn't come or wrestle because he had a concussion from the Tito Ortiz punch. Tito Ortiz punched him so hard he did, in fact, actually get a concussion, it appears. Sure. Even though he did wrestle on the TVs afterwards. So that's that's not a good idea if you have a concussion, Jeff. Don't do that.
2: Yeah, sure. Definitely did.
1: Ortiz was told to make the punch look as real as possible. And they did hear that there was no real heat on on Ortiz, because
2: they're like, make it look real! He made it look real, concussed them, but listen, you get what you tell them to do. Yeah, so please retract your statement from last episode, where you were like, nah, normally MMA fighters either do really bad punches, or punches that actually hurt people. Yeah, but if you're gonna do one... <laughs> mm. You gotta make it look good. I just want you to retract your praise so you're consistent. Never. I will never retract my praise of Tito Ortiz. I will stand by him to the end. You will stand by him and everything he has ever said. Ever. You will vote for him. No, I legally cannot, actually. I heard that you did. (laughs) Voter fraud? Yeah, I heard that you committed voter fraud and voted 10,000 times for Tito Ortiz. To be fair, if he is anything like every other Republican, he should be
1: really mad at me about that. Yeah. They really do get worked up about, quote-unquote, voter fraud.
2: Which is definitely happening all the time.
1: We went backstage and Jarrett was shouting at Dusty, demands his rematch, and Dusty's like, You got your rematch. In a King of the Mountain match that will have you, Styles, champion, Monty, Abyss, and a wild card. And Jared is initially very upset at that announcement. He's like, how dare you put me in a match with four other men? And he's like, wait a minute. Abyss and Monty are on my side.
2: It's three versus two.
1: So the numbers game is to my advantage. And at Slammiversary, the numbers won't lie. They will spell disaster for AJ Styles. Mm. Larry Zabisco was at the announce table for no real reason. They never explained it. He's just sitting there with Mike because and
2: Doug. Because it's nice to see
1: Larry. Uh, Raven comes out and he's like, I'm going to be the wild card, right? Or I will turn TNA into a bloodbath. I believe him. Larry's like, well, wait and see. We have we haven't decided yet. And then you're like, your Raven replied by being like, you're old, you're washed up. You only did that one match in Shea Stadium. You're such a loser. And then he slapped the headset off Larry, which Larry initially looked to get angry at, and then he sold. Larry's great. Mm. Larry
2: Zbysko is so good because we are moving into Larry Zbysko as the full time authority figure on the show for the bulk of the year. This is a subtle uh, nod to that. Some foreshadowing, some would say. Yeah. As Raven doesn't go to Dusty to get put in the match. Mm, he goes to the real source of power, Larry he goes Z, to the living legend. So Larry eventually fires
1: up. He throws some punches at Raven before Raven then makes a comeback and beats the living hell out of Larry Zabisco.
2: Can we talk about these Larry Zabisco DDT cells? Go for it. They're so great. Mm. He looks like, uh, like he gets, he takes like spike bumps off of them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they look so good. Um, We were kind of talking about how a few months ago it felt like a weird time to strap up Raven. Mm. But man, like, they have managed to heat him up again. Not to the level that he was the first time when he should have won the belt, but he definitely is, like, a hot act again. Like, they've gone all in on him being,
1: like, loose cannon crazy. Mm. like like his promo at the pay-per-view where at Heart Justice where he was like I'm going to beat the shit out of you Sean Waltman, I'm going to kill and maim you and then you'll be taken away in an ambulance and I'm going to blow up the ambulance too (laughs) (laughs) like he has gone all in on being like I am a sadistic horrible human being
2: domestic terrorist
1: he is a terrorist and he's finally snapped and he's like nothing will stop me from winning this belt now I have been put to the side too many times I am just going to start killing people (laughs) Jeff's like just you wait I'll try my best yeah, so he dropped Larry or two Raven effects. Then security came out. He disposed of them too. Before Dusty came out and suspended Raven, and Raven did the classic "You can't fire me, I quit."
2: That's what Dusty was like. It's hmm, a good, it's <laughs> a good strategy.
1: Uh, Styles bursts into Dusty's office. He's mad about the King of the Mountain. Dusty's like, there, there's a, there's a look on Dusty's face that is like, I am so over all of this shit at this stage. Yeah.
2: He doesn't, I, the thing, and we talked about it a little bit, is, like, I don't think he respects the company. No. He's, he's just, like, it's a paycheck. I don't think he ever really respected it. He probably enjoyed being in a position of power again, but I don't think he ever really thought it was going to be anything.
1: Yeah, and I just don't get the sense that he cared whether the show was good under his watch.
2: No, I think he just enjoyed being a showrunner.
1: Like, it's the classic thing after a bad dynamite that you're nearly guaranteed a good dynamite the next week.
2: Yeah, because... Tony Khan really cares. <laughs> like, you can say a lot of things about Tony Khan, but the one thing that, like, is the uh, a undisputed fact is that he cares.
1: Yeah, if he feels like he's let his audience down in some way, he will try to make up for it.
2: Yeah, I love a bad dynamite. Mm. Because I know next week, my man's gonna go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas here, I don't think Dusty would think for a second whether
1: the shows are even good or bad. I don't think he thinks about the shows after they're done. Mm-hmm. I don't think he thinks about the shows before they're done, based on, on his booking, but... Yeah. Does he say, like, I'm a little bit hyper myself, daddy. Before he books Styles and a partner of Styles choosing against Jarrett and Monty as the main event next. He should have picked Abyss. Which is actually, when you think about it, a thing this show basically never does. Mm. I think only, like, the Jarrett and Monty title match was a match that they made one week to do the next. Every week you just tune in and it's like a black box of whatever you're going to see. Like, they barely even announce matches during the show. They actually did it during the opener on this, where today is like, oh, on this show you're getting Team Canada versus AMW and Abyss versus Chris Saban on the main event. And even then I was like, they never do that either. Like, they never just yeah. like, here are the matches coming up on this episode of TV.
2: It's weird to be like, oh, the basics of wrestling television are here. But to be fair, like I feel like even in the modern side, guys, it took a long time for that to happen. Like there was just a period where matches weren't announced, which is silly. Part of it was like the crazy Vince's stuff where it's just
1: like matches weren't announced. Crazy Vince. Just because scripts weren't written. Uh, we should also just mention at this point that Monty killed Sonny Siaki at the start. Oh yeah, there was a squash match, I guess. There's no other reason to bring that up. Where, where Monty did beat him in less than a minute. A real squash for Monty.
2: Like, nothing. Like, Siaki got zero offense, basically.
1: Which, like, again, I wouldn't go so far as to say Siaki's a push act at the moment. But, like, he is in a new tag team with Apollo. They are just doing something. And that's, like, the classic sign of a new booker. It's like, they don't care about that. He's getting squashed in a minute. Yeah. Like, there's not a ton of upheaval from the new Booker stuff. Like, Team Canada are getting a push, which I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. But I think they're also right to push Team Canada.
2: One of the good acts.
1: Yeah, and I think they were were de-escalated too much. They were pushed too far down the card to become just complete comedy nerds. And we talked about how they can be that, but they're they're an important part of the show. And when they're not on the show, the show is worse. So they, they are heated up a little bit this month. And But there's not, like, a ton of other stuff that's like, whoa, they really threw the things they were doing out the window and started again. They more just, like, are, are starting to move in different directions. So the main event of this episode, a kind of surprising TV main event that I was into, Abyss versus Chris Saban. The
2: one thing that, um... I didn't love is that it was in the two guys that are in the middle of stories. Yeah, and uh, you know you didn't really want any either guy to lose. But at the very least, they did beat Sabin by advancing his story. Yeah,
1: at the very least, they did a fuck finish. (laughs) But like they did a fuck finish that served the angle Saban. Yes, yeah, I get it.
2: On the tiers of fuck
1: finishes, (laughs) but
2: I don't know, I. That's the one disappointing thing. Although, like, the match kind of rocks. Yeah, because Abyss is always more
1: generous than he ever should be. Yeah. So he does a bunch of stuff with Sabin where, like, the match starts with Sabin trying to arm Greg Abyss and Abyss just pulls him up in the air and Saban does, like, a flip bump. Which rules. Yeah. <laughs> Saban is, like, standing on the top and he jumps over the post and ran as Abyss on the floor, which also
2: rules. Yeah, they, they they do a bunch of crazy shit.
1: Yeah, worth noting, Jarrett's on commentary for this match. And also, today informs us before this match that Raven threw a, a fit. He had destructive fit backstage after he was suspended and then quit. And we'll see footage of that next
2: week. See, I have to admit, I think this was good hype for the next show. Because I was even like watching it, I was like, oh, I want to see what Raven did. Yeah, who did he kill? Yeah. Did he actually blow up that ambulance? <laughs> There's one thing that Scott is doing better than other bookers is mm. that I feel like he is building up the next TV it's not just shows that exist in a vacuum
1: which impact is as we said it's always been it's just 40 minutes that you tune in every week and then like there's angles that continue week to week but it's never like oh next week tune in for this big main event as you said here they have the hook of raven's footage next week and they have the hook of a tv main event next week styles and a partner they actually mention here that waltman will be styles partner so it's styles and waltman versus monty and Jarrett for the main event next week so there's hooks there's actual reasons to come back send hooks it's a real episodic tv
2: show my god they've, they've finally grown up
1: yeah so uh, today and jarrett are on commentary jarrett's like rubbing it in and there's a shot at one stage where it shows them all at the table and Taney is just he's calling the match he's calling whatever saban and abyss are doing but he while doing it giving jeff jarrett the most sensational side eye <laughs> I do
2: love that he doesn't trust him like at all.
1: No, he's keeping eyes on him at all times. Abyss grabs a chair from the buckle that he set up and Saban drop kicks it into his head for an earfall. Saban gets Abyss up for the cradle shock, has him on the shoulders, but then Michael Shane runs out, super kicks him, handing Abyss the win with the black hole slap.
2: They definitely did a lot to make Saban feel like a big deal in this match, and I wonder why that happened as well, mm. he says sarcastically, oh. knowing. I wonder who trained Chris Sabin. Mm. There's no way of knowing. Nah, it's impossible. Okay, we
1: were mentioning the watch along. It's a good thing Scott to trained some real good wrestlers.
2: <laughs> yeah, cause at least his, like, nepotism is for tremendous wrestlers who are some of the most influential wrestlers of all time. Like, you go from Dusty's, which is Fidel for Slam, and
1: fucking Dustin Rhodes at the, the low point of his career, and Scott goes from to, like, to Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, Team Canada. It's like, oh, good wrestlers!
2: Yeah. Three tremendous acts at this point.
1: So, earlier in the show, when Abyss laid out styles of the Black Hole Slam, the inference was that Abyss was Team Jarrett. It was Jarrett, Monty, and uh, Abyss as a stable. Whereas here, Jarrett offers Abyss the handshake. Abyss hesitates once again, accepts, and then pulls Jarrett into a Black Hole Slam, as then he and Monty posed over Jarrett's beaten body.
2: Yeah, um... I think this was good, and it was needed.
1: Yeah, again, it it heats up Abyss, it puts him in a main event angle, it makes him not a lackey to Jarrett, and I think Abyss's worst problem I think is in in his entire run so far, as he spends most of it as a lackey to somebody, whether it's Golilocks, which was enjoyable, but probably not where Abyss should have been, or Kid Cash.
2: I do enjoy that this whole episode, Monty's been like side-eyeing Jarrett, every time Jarrett's like, yeah, we're a team, we got this, and Monty's like, yeah, do we got this? Like, when he goes and turns to Abyss and Monty and he's like, it's three of us, the title's coming, Monty's like fuck you (laughs) and then here like Monty didn't exactly seem devastated that Abyss had taken
1: out Jarrett yeah he doesn't even like really defend him he stares Abyss down but he's not like fighting for Jarrett's honour no And it got a real good reaction. Again, it's a moment where, like, Abyss could have been a real big baby face in this company. One thing I would say, and it's, I think, a a consequence of a two-week build, this is probably an angle that should have played out over a month. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, they're a destructive force, they're unstoppable, but it turns out Abyss is out for himself, too. Whereas, it did make for a good episode of TV that it played out over 45 minutes.
2: 100%.
1: Felt very kinetic. So they showed the footage of what Raven did on the next episode of Impact May 27. Raven, he tried to run over a cameraman with a car. (laughs) I meant... I respect respect that. Again, they're going, like, full unhinged. The man wants the NWA title, and he will kill people. He will kill people to get it.
2: Yeah, he'll kill people who
1: are, like, just doing their job, let alone people that are actively trying to stop him. He does a promo, then, about how this is a conspiracy by Rhodes to keep him away from the belt, and he is going to make everybody suffer until he gets his shot at AJ. Uh, Later in the show, Terry Taylor has Monty Brown and Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett said he's not concerned with everything going against him lately after Abyss chose to, to black hole slam him, and then he's like at least Monty knows what the right side is and that is again where Monty gave him just like do I mm. and then Jarrett walked away to get ready for their main event and Terry Taylor's like how do you feel about this Monty and Monty's like there is only one one alpha male
2: that's the the definition yeah you can't have two alpha males then they have to fight my god the alpha male and the sigma male colliding who would win that fight <laughs> come on <laughs>
1: AJ Styles and Sean Watman faced Monty Brown and Jeff Jarrett in your TV main event of your girl home show Nice to have a match of this star level on the show. Yeah, I get real stars, the A-level stars, interacting on TV, which is nice. That being said, it was, okay. Yeah, it was a perfectly fine TV main, nothing special. It did make me think about how we never really got in a Styles and Monty match, whereas, like, I think if, if Styles was actually going to be NWA champion long term, and they did the Styles-Monty main event on a pay-per-view at this stage, they'd probably have a real good match. Yeah. Uh, Abyss watched on from the top of the ramp so you had all your King of the Mountain people here at least supposedly. They did not actually announce who the wild card would be until I assume they did it in the build up to the pay-per-view at some stage because it never happened on TV because even in this TV main event after Styles announced that Waldman would be his partner they were still playing up. It's like who's the wild card.
2: Probably just announced it on the website.
1: I do wonder if they were hoping to get somebody better because like Matt Hardy has been in negotiations with this company for a, a while and it's like it's been assumed that Ma- Matt Hardy will come in and even it's reported after the pay-per-view that he will come in in July obviously he goes back to WWE he never comes in until 2011 but I wonder if they were thinking maybe Matt Hardy there Mm. which would make sense why they didn't announce it
2: but I I don't know I think it was kind of meant to be Raven the whole time right
1: Uh, no (laughs) no Ah, again talk about that in a second
2: fucking Jeff
1: Uh, so you can tell Jarrett's not a great tag team wrestler by the way because he whipped Waltman right toward the corner where AJ is when getting the heat
2: there's like six
1: of them and there's so many other sides you could have whipped him there's two you can't and four you can where AJ doesn't look stupid Choose any of the four. He's, he's not a tag team guy. He doesn't understand these things. Uh, so Jarrett was lining up, hitting Waltman with a guitar. Waltman was being held in place by Monty. Rudy distracted him being like, hey, man, you can't hit him with a guitar. While he was distracted, Waltman switched positions with Monty. Jarrett swiveled the hips, turned, smashed Monty with the guitar. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? As Styles then pinned Monty with the spiral tap. So if there was any loose alliance between Monty Brown and Jeff Jarrett, it just collapsed.
2: Yeah. Monty, you know Monty don't take that shit.
1: And one of my favorite little angles—it's my favorite thing. So after the match, they're celebrating Styles and Waltman, and Waltman just picks up the NWA title and gives it a long stare.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's some classic wrestling shit right there, and I love it.
1: Yeah, and they don't even do like he just hands it to AJ. They don't even do the thing where he holds on to it or anything. He just picks it up, and for like ten seconds, he just looks at it, and then he gives it to AJ. Like there you go, wrestling can be so simple. Yeah. I did appreciate how both episodes of Impact this month ended with Mike Tanay, now on the booking committee, screaming at the top of his lungs, What an Impact! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's so genuinely into it but like not that he's been dogging it not that he's been like not trying because I think he's been trying very hard but you, you you do get the sense that he is actively trying a little bit harder now that it, like he has his hand in the creative and he's trying to get his own creative over
2: yeah why wouldn't
1: he which actually we, we talk a lot about how particularly when it relates to Dusty you can't really be Booker and on TV because ultimately you'll serve yourself
2: yeah Especially someone generally regarded as having a bit of an ego. Mm. Dusty? No. No, no, no.
1: Jeff? No. <laughs> no. Kevin Nash in WCW. Whereas I do think I think there's a direct relationship between
2: being a good announcer and having like a creative investment in what's happening. Because mm. as an announcer, your job is to put the whole show over. Yeah. As a wrestler, your job is to put yourself over. And as a booker, your job is to put the company over. Mm. So when those collide, you have a problem. But when you have one that synergizes with those two beliefs, like the announcing role, it can flourish it. Yeah, because the job of the announcers, he said, is to put things over and explain the stories. So who knows the
1: stories better than the person who books the show or helps creative? He's on the committee in today's part. That's what Bill Watts did too. And Vince and Bischoff. Yeah. All announcers, all uh, either leading or part of creative. Gabe? Well, let's not talk about games. Gavis is not a great example
2: of but... it.
0: <laughs> BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then
1: But I I do think there's something there that that if you have somebody uncreative who's a good announcer, they're probably a good person to put at that desk to actually sell the stuff and get it
2: over. Let's get Tony Khan on Revolution. I mean, the show that already happened when he came out on Revolution and did it. Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that brings us... To Slammiversary, June 19th, 2005,
1: TNA's third anniversary show held on the third anniversary of the company, which I think is a fun little touch. As it should be. Mm, They should always hold it on the 19th. Of course. It was one of the nice things where Slammiversary in 2022 fell on the 19th. It was a Sunday, so you could do the actual 20th anniversary show on the 19th as well. Uh, so they aired footage from an angle they did in the pre-show where Raven was once again complaining that he's not in the NWA title match he had a confrontation with Jeff Jarrett Jarrett was backing out of the ring and there was the classic TNA Jeff Hardy fan at ringside who Jeff Jarrett pulled over the rail and started wailing on with punches then security took him away and arrested him and then he was taken out of the match and Raven was put into the match by Larry Zabisco so that your King of the Mountain lineup is Styles, Monty, Abyss Waltman who was the wild card and now Raven replacing Jeff Jarrett
2: but Garrett, why isn't <laughs> Jeff in it? It's a good question, Liam. One
1: to which there is a very bad answer. Mmm. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett did not wrestle in the main event of Sunday's TNA 3rd Anniversary <laughs> Slamversary pay-per-view. Although heavily advertised for the King of the Mountain match, he bowed out of the match voluntarily. Mmm. Mm. I don't think P.W. Torch's characterization there is necessarily correct multiple sources heard that Jarrett was upset he wasn't booked by the new booking committee to win the match and like Dave goes a step further to be like at one stage he was At one stage, like Jarrett was meant to win the belt back and everyone was like, no, that's a terrible idea. Let's not do that. (laughs) It was apparently a a subject of major debate throughout the week who'd actually go over in this match. After spending a lot of time over the last year pushing himself as King of the Mountain, he apparently felt it would be damaging to his character to not win that match.
2: You're an ass-showing heel. (laughs) That is your job.
1: (laughs) No, he's a cool guy main eventer, Liam. He can't sacrifice the... Stone credibility of the king of the mountain nickname
2: truly insane for like a memphis era guy mm. to not get showing your ass <laughs> yep it's so important
1: that he protect the integrity of his nickname, that he win the King of the Mountain match. (sighs) Dixie Carter, who has majority ownership of TNA, stood her ground and would not change her mind and have Jarrett win the match. As a result, several scenarios were discussed and they went with an angle during the pay-per-view pregame show where Jarrett would be arrested and taken out.
2: Starting calling Jeff Jarrett's
1: back. <laughs> Backstage, although there was hesitance to be too openly anti-Jarrett since he is still part owner and could still end up wielding power, wrestlers conveyed to each other the disappointment in Jarrett's insistence that he win the match. Multiple sources say Jarrett lost a lot of respect among his colleagues for apparently pulling the power play. There were even rumours that Jarrett had expressed concern that the main event would fall apart without him involved to keep it together. <laughs> Okay. Jarrett was still scheduled to be at the TVs.
2: Yeah, well, no, it was fine. It was a great match, so.
1: Yeah, so Dave gives a a little more detail that uh, Jarrett was told that he was getting the title back, but the feeling among everybody in the company, aside from Jeff and Jerry, was that they, they just simply could not do that. They couldn't.
2: Why even tell the man? Why get his hopes up? Yeah, and like,
1: again, it, it's coloured a lot by all the stuff we talked about at the start of the show, all the little ownership things that are going on, all the potential takeover bids. So there, there is a lot of contention between the Jarrets and the, the characters, and that is, like, boiling over onto creative decisions. And, like, there's no world in which Jeff should have won this match.
2: None. No. <laughs> like, one, he's held the belt for 11 months. He is the sixth person in this five-person match that I would have <laughs> put the
1: title on. There, like, there is multiple people not in this match. You'd be like, strap them up before you'd strap up Jeff right now. Uh, Again, it goes back to the mangling to get power, and they believe the belt has power so they want to keep the belt, so that's what it comes down to. My favourite little note, it is believed AJ Styles wasn't unhappy about losing the title after (laughs) one month, as he wanted to be back in the X Division, and perhaps with the current booking committee, the X title will be the main event title going forward. What a brilliant himbo AJ Styles is! (laughs) He's like, I'm just happy to be here, man. He's just like, he doesn't have like, much of an ego about it. He just wants to go out there and have good wrestling matches. And he doesn't care if he's champ. He doesn't... Like, I'm sure there's parts of his career where he does begin to like get an eye for politicking because you kind of have to in the world of wrestling. But I love the pure innocence of the man here. Apparently being like, ah, I don't particularly mind. I just want to have cool exhibition like, title matches.
2: He's like, I've already been the champion of the flat world three times. Dave says, it's reported, Jarrett did not take the change well and
1: refused to participate in the main event. And at this point... Has no planned match for the next pay per view either.
2: Then go away.
1: One wrestler in the match was even openly talking to fans about Jarrett refusing to do the match because King of the Mountain is his, his gimmick mm. and he didn't want to lose. Raven or Waltman? Mm.
2: <laughs> I wonder who that could have been.
1: <laughs> to be fair, I believe Raven or Waltman. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's, it's one of those two. <laughs> and many people in the industry as a whole and wrestlers in the company were privately talking as we mentioned about how much respect they lost for Jarrett over this Jarrett was trying to save face when asked by fans about it saying it was part of an angle uh, everyone hates like even the people who liked him now are like Ugh, what, a, what a what a, dick <laughs> like this is the point where he does seem like just unbearable to deal with right where it's like this is my company and it's been taken away from me for pretty reasonable reasons
2: you were champion for like a year and were always the top guy on the show it's been three years there's been no advancement in the company just fucking take an L as we were mentioning it is June 2005 since November 2003
1: there has only been six weeks where he has not been champion <laughs>
2: yeah just fucking just take an L six weeks out of 18 months that being said really look forward I mean when he won the tag titles at Revolution I was all in on it <laughs> uh, we're recording it's the night of Revolution in case you shut up, up don't, don't tell them <laughs> <laughs>
1: But yeah, Jarrett. Jarrett making a big old show of himself.
2: I hope uh, right now he's talking to Tony and he's like, you know, it'd be really against my character as the outlaw to lose this (laughs) four-way for the tag team titles. As
1: the last outlaw, I cannot lose to a team managed by the old outlaw, so.
2: Yeah, of course. So what we're saying is Jared will get attacked and will attack a fan in the pre-show and Raven will take his place. Mm.
1: And the fan will be dressed as Dan Housen rather than
2: Jeff Hardy. Yes. Maybe Orange Cassidy. It'll be Jeff Hardy dressed as Orange Cassidy.
1: Yeah. So that does actually bring us to the match. It's a great match. It is. It's, I think, for
2: two for two for real darn good King of the Mountains. Yeah, fuck, fuck all the King of the Mountain haters, first of all. ask mm. King of the Mountain respecters stay living. Yeah. Everyone else, fuck off. It's just a big dumb spot fest where they do a bunch of crazy shit and ladders. And the thing that makes this one so great is like, the pacing is tremendous. Mm. I was a little
1: bit disappointed because on the TV, they did a video package on the rules of King of the Mountain. No Scott Hudson. No Scott Hudson. At no point did I see Scott Hudson say the words, the rules are simple. Devastating. I was very upset. And that's why Jeff refused. <laughs> he saw that package. He's like, I can't do the job now. No one will understand that the rules are actually quite simple. It's really just a ladder match. Yeah. Uh, Waltman immediately cross-bodied Raven off the box while Styles ran at Abyss of off the ladder. So we started like a real clip.
2: Yeah, they they they, they just go 100 miles the whole time.
1: Monty pounced Raven to become eligible within like the first 90 seconds. So like, we're going. <laughs> yeah. Monty then pinned Waltman with an alpha bomb, and Don West did a good job of explaining, it's like, well, Monty is already eligible for pinning Raven, but if you pin somebody else, you send them to the box, so that takes him out of the match for two minutes. Which has always been some great
2: continuity, I thought.
1: Mm. Monty then pounced AJ, but Raven pulled him out of the ring and stole the pin, so he's eligible, AJ goes to the box. AJ and Waltman then struck up on the Lions in the penalty box. Mm. It is worth noting, pre-tape earlier in the show, franchise had Waltman, and he asked them, how'd you get in the match? And he's like, I'm pretty good at and for a shame. <laughs> But the important part of this is, Waltman says that tonight there's not going to be any unity. I'm a lone wolf. AJ clearly did not see this promo. <laughs>
2: oh.
1: So, Waltman insists that there's not going to be any alliances. He's out for himself to win the belt tonight. But, foreshadowing! While both him and Styles are in the penalty box, they seem to strike up an alliance of sorts.
2: I love the penalty box. Yeah, and you can always do cool moves off it or into it. See, that's what we've been saying is more like, oh God, just do, make new matches. Mm. Seriously,
1: not matches. that are just like different names for old matches.
2: Yeah, the last burial.
1: Abyss pinned Monty with the black hole slam to become eligible. Styles spiral tapped Abyss through a table on the floor to also become it was eligible. That's awesome. Uh, is it like this, this match was just going yeah this is one of those ones where it's like go watch it so styles eligible has the belt he's climbing and then he happens to drop the belt but his pal sean waltman's (gasps) right there
2: it's his friend his friend sean waltman
1: picks up the belt and he goes to hand it to aj and he's like here pal go win the belt this is this is your time Uh, and then betrays him in x-factors him off a ladder (laughs) how could he do this that makes him eligible. Abyss pushed Waltman and AJ off a ladder. Waltman just took a regular bump to the floor. AJ took a bump through a table because, of course, he did. But, like, you could see Waltman be like, fuck, where am I going to land? Mm. And AJ's just like, table, wee! Wee! Uh, Abyss goes to climb the ladder but then Monty pounces him off the ladder through a table set up in the corner also ruled
2: yeah everything in this match rules
1: Raven even flowed Monty climbed the ladder Abyss tried to climb but Raven stomped him off and Raven hung the belt to become the new NWA world champion and finally after over two years of saying it fulfilling his destiny took him a while some would say too long some would argue it should have taken him three months but hey we got there in the end Yeah, because... He should have been champ when, when
2: he faced Jarrett. He should have been. He yes. Just, he just should have been.
1: And then there's multiple places through the next two years where you're like, why aren't you making Raven champ? Then they're heading onto TV, and then he turns babyface, and you're like, oh yeah, he's he's doing well here. Why aren't you turning? But he should be champ. He should be the one to beat heel Jarrett. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And then he never is. And then for some reason, like the six weeks where Jarrett's not champion is a four week Styles reign and a two week Killings reign, which are fine, but like why not Raven? And yeah. then Raven goes into that weird period where he's still having like good matches he has like the monsters ball match he has the matches with abyss he has some matches with monty he then goes into like
2: the dust and stuff which is kind of stinks but then he goes back to the jeff hardy stuff which is pretty good it, it, there was weird moments but i feel like they did they brought it together when they needed to
1: yeah they had like six weeks to make this guy seem like a main event guy again and they did i think as good a job as you could yeah or like he cut great promos He was an important part of the show. He had a kick-ass match with Maltman last month. And now he's NWA champ.
2: I look forward to seeing how it plays out.
1: And yeah, hell of a match, as we said. So, if you watch Raven celebrating this match, Liam... I do. You can see he's bleeding. Yes. And I can't, for the life of me, find out when he started bleeding. Yeah. Because I was like, what caused him to bleed? So I I, I scroll back a few minutes, and he's like, not bleeding for the entirety of the end of the match. I'm like, did this dude bleed just for his world
2: title celebration? (laughs) Uh, Or maybe he just, like, hit his head on the ladder as he went up. (laughs) Maybe he did. I should watch closely. Because I was watching, I thought maybe the NWA
1: title might have hit him in the head or something. (laughs) I really was like, at what point does this dude start bleeding? Because I've now convinced myself he did, in fact, blade just so his world title celebration would look cool.
2: (laughs) Mm. Yeah, well, it's going to get replayed a lot. Why not? Yeah, it's noble intent. I respect any and all gigging, so... Mm
1: as Mike does scream, destiny fulfilled, as we, as we go off the air of that show, to kind of fulfill a two-year arc. What is kind of a two-year arc? Uh,
2: a two-year arc that shouldn't have been a two-year arc.
1: And was an arc with a substantial valley in it. But it peaked pretty well. Yeah. So there's not much other heavyweight stuff this month. The main other kind of heavyweight adjacent feud is Bobby Roode versus Lance Hoyt. It spins off of the gauntlet match from Hard Justice where Roode did eliminate Hoyt from the floor. So they started setting that match in motion at Hard Justice.
2: Yeah. I mean, listen. Mm-hmm. It's not great. Like, it's not a great matchup for either guy at this point but I guess it's like it's decent enough mid card fodder yeah it's kind of interesting that they do identify at this stage that like
1: rude's a singles guy he's he's going to be a single star I think the problem is rude at this stage is is pretty far from being ready to be a single star yeah and even like when they do it in 07 when they do, like, the the, the Miss Brooks pairing and he gets, like, the the rich guy character, even then he's still not really entirely there. So, like, I think at this stage it should just be Rude and Young as the Team Canada tag team and then Petey's doing the X Division stuff.
2: Because they're really good as a tag team, too.
1: Yeah, I I just think, like, everybody would be better off in this situation. But at the same time, I can't blame them for
2: trying. I just think they're trying with the wrong guy.
1: Well, at the wrong time, it's the right guy at the wrong time.
2: No, I think, like, I mean, they're trying, like, I think... Hoyt should be the guy they're like putting the muscle behind well they're putting it behind Hoyt too it is a single like it's a singles program of two top
1: prospects that's the way this is kind of presented
2: yeah the wrong guy winning
1: it is the wrong guy winning but he does get the moment at the end of the match we'll talk about that in a sec so there's nothing really to to set this up on the first impact of the month Lance Hoyt does a squash match against Bruno Sassy <laughs> just the last fuck you to Dusty one last Phi Delta slam job <laughs> Yeah, Scott the is on commentary Big Till tried to interfere Hoyt wins with a moonsault They do make a big boot a signature Hoyt move which I don't really like because the comparisons to test are already there He's a old big fella still big boot I, I don't know when you get the big guy with the leathery pants, but though he's more pleather than leather, but still like, like uh, when you get a guy who has a physical resemblance to test already, and I think uh, like it was always a talking point for him that it's like he is test adjacent. I think like don't make, like he has cool moves.
2: You don't need he has the blackout, he has the salt. he doesn't need a big boot. The same thing we've said about Lance Hoyt on the New Japan show is like, if this guy just had his twenty twenty-three look two decades earlier, mm. he would have been a major pro wrestling star. Because we do talk about Rude not being
1: there yet. Hoyt isn't either.
2: No, but like Hoyt does cool shit and is big so he gets over.
1: Yeah, and also like the Impact Zone have just adopted him. On, uh, it's one of those, again, it's one of those borderline irrational. Like Lance Hoyt's cool, but they are cheer for him on a level above what he's been presented on the show for some reason.
2: Because he does a fucking moonsault and he's giant.
1: I think he's just their guy. I think it's just random. They picked him as their guy. But like, that's the thing. You can do something with that.
2: Yeah. Like, have him lose.
1: Uh, Tilly jumped Hoyt after the match, but Hoyt made his own comeback with a big boot. Tilly. Yeah, big Tilly and and Bruno Sassy. (laughs) Tilly. DeVore got in the mic and said, it's all smiles, but it'll be a different story at Slammiversary. He's going to take care of Hoyt himself. But then Rude jumped Hoyt from behind with a hockey stick and they beat him.
2: The pop he got when he popped the top. Wow, that was a
1: lot of ops. (laughs) That does bring us to Slammiversary, where Bobby Rude defeated Lance Hoyt. Boo. Uh, Damore spectacularly cowered away from Hoyt early in the match. was so
2: good. <laughs>
1: like like he, he's getting all because Lance Hoyt has his back to him and he's all like oh, I'm going to get him I'm going to get him and then Hoyt turns around and he's like oh! it's like he starts shaking his cheeks <laughs> and he's freaking out. It's like oh it's yeah. perfect management. <laughs> Damore threw punches to Hoyt and sold his own hand which is a thing I always liked. that was like oh he's, again the cowardly manager who punches Hoyt but that hurts his hand more than it hurts Hoyt. Hoyt went for the moonsault but Damore grabbed Grabbed Hoyt's leg, allowing Rude to hit a power bomb, but Hoyt kicked out. Hoyt lined up the big boot, but Demore grabbed his ankle again, causing a distraction, allowing Rude to hit the Northern Lariat for the win. Bobby Rude defeats Lance Hoyt. Boo! Yeah, it's like Hoyt has momentum. I get, I get what they're doing, Rude. I really do. Like it, it's, it's not that the like Rude's a guy who absolutely positively shouldn't be beating Lance Hoyt. I, I understand what they're trying here. Hoyt's the guy you should have gone over. Yeah. After the match, they beat him down. Probably for a little too long, I would have said.
2: Yeah. I would have had Lance win, do the beat down, and then do the thing afterwards. Because that makes Rude still look like a guy that's, like, vicious. Mm. But Hoyt not only does he get the win, he also gets to put out the manager.
1: Yeah, but he at least he gets something. He does get to stand tall. So Damore goes for a moonsault, misses, flops everywhere. Because, again, he rocks. Yeah. <laughs> Hoyt stops DeMore from escaping by pulling his pants down. Scott goes, Full Moon, which Don West then responds by telling the children to leave the room. It's like, Take your children out of the room.
2: He also apologizes.
1: Yeah, I'm so sorry. Take your children out of the room. They cannot witness Scott DeMore's ass. Listen, Scott DeMore showing what Jeff Jarrett couldn't. He can show ass. He definitely can. He's the be- one of the best at it. Uh, Hoyt chokeslams Damore and then hits him with the moonsault uh, that causes Maitenei to spontaneously just go, woo! Yeah. Damore stretched out. Crowd went nuts for the chokeslam and the moonsault. They were very, very pleased to see Demore put in his place. And this is a write-off for Demore for a while because he's the booker.
2: Yeah, which, you know, he realizes that they're, they're, that he can't do it all at once.
1: There's a troubled history of this company so far of the booker booking themselves to be perhaps too important a part of the show and unwilling to show ass. So he does in mm. fact show all of the ass <laughs> in this match. And then leave. And then leave for a while. That takes us over to the tag team division in which on the first impact of the payview cycle we had a Team Canada versus America's most wanted number one contenders match.
2: Yeah, the, we're currently uh, doing the story again where AMW aren't on the same page. Yeah, they're doing
1: it with two teams but at least the way they're doing it, the idea is they're doing it with two teams. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than wrestling than it's like, you're doing the same story with two people at the same time, but at least the thing here is like, TrialK don't get along, AMW don't get along, then they have a pay per of teams that don't get along.
2: And they kind of blame each other too.
1: Yeah, so everything's going badly for LK. everything's going badly for AMW, so they're like, we'll wrestle each other, goddammit. <laughs> and
2: we'll prove who is the worst. Hmm. So good little match between T-Can and AMW. Yeah, I thought it kind of rocked it's very much just kind of what you would expect these two to do on tv but these two teams i mean like they are good enough that when they do it on the tv it lives up to like what you would expect it to be and they have a pretty good TV match which is better than most TV matches that you get yeah I feel like AMW in particular have been like
1: just dreadfully underused in terms of being television wrestlers in this company yeah because I feel that you condense the AMW formula down to like tight fast pace like I think it was about 8-9 minutes because it was given the 30 minute time limit I think it went about 8 or 9 with a commercial you condense the AMW formula down to that kind of like pace that time period it's really good enjoyable
2: thumbs up yeah thumbs up and also very clear again the team canada repush going on here
1: yeah so the they, they did the promo on on hard justice about how they're getting back together they're they're getting their momentum back pd and eric won won a match in the opener against sally and apollo and here it's the eric young and pd williams combination of team canada by the way defeating amw to become
2: number one contenders
1: good stuff amw went for the hard attack but a1 pulled out harris young and pd hit the sharpshooter elbow they do which i think is a cool move but storm kicked out
2: i kind of bit on it to be honest
1: yeah storm super kicked ey amw went for the powerplex on pd but a1 got in the ring so harris speared him instead of hitting the powerplex but that allowed pd to run a storm pd grabbed the ropes and won and then storm was like what the hell where'd you go <laughs> he's like i was doing
2: tag team wrestling man yeah i was taking out a1 he is very large I was taking out Johnny Devine on the outside, and I got distracted. I'm sorry. Earlier on this show, Killings and
1: BG were backstage. Killings was mad that BG missed the hard justice match, and also didn't contact him about it.
2: Is this the first, like, classic impact cameraman peeking around the corner
1: that we've seen? Yeah, because it's a thing that the the Bischoff regime would make a real thing, that the cameraman is always, like, contextualized within the scene.
2: Hmm. See, the thing is, I don't know if I like it or if I dislike it. Sometimes I'm like, I like it. Sometimes I'm like, I, I think, you know what it is? I like it when they don't overuse it, but they went to a stage where they overused it. Yeah, because it was the
1: Bischoff regime thing that, like, as I said, all at all times the cameraman was never invisible. Because it's the thing people get mad about, that, like, the idea that these people would be standing in front of the camera talking about their intricate plans they're going to do, while the camera is just right there, and they just happen to not see it. It's an invisible camera thing. So, like, the the Hogan-Bischoff regime, their big thing was that, at all times, the camera would be in the scene. So, people would address the camera, or if the camera was catching something they shouldn't, it would be shot through, like, blinds. It would be shot around the corner. It would be shot in a way to show that the, the people being filmed did not know the camera was there, so that they say, we're gonna sneak attack so and so the problem
2: is your same logic that you're using can then like get reverse engineered and you're like stop making your plans in that one hallway <laughs> <laughs> that that one hallway always has a cameraman
1: and i'm, I'm kind of fine with the idea that the camera is just invisible and no one acknowledges it because like if you do half and half it makes no sense at all
2: i don't know there's sometimes it really annoys me like in that greatest storyline of all time uh the bloodline they did that like one where like Owens was peeking out the door. I'm like, that's so fucking stupid. Mm, Because, like, I think if you
1: do half and half, it makes no sense whatsoever. And that, like, either the camera is never there. Like, no one ever acknowledges it and the camera is an invisible player in the scene or the camera is always there but if you do it like where it's sometimes they acknowledge the camera and sometimes they don't it just completely falls apart and then doesn't really make any sense Yeah. Conan and BG were backstage Killings was mad because BG missed the hard justice match and then didn't send him a text about it but he did send DDP a text about it which made him real mad <laughs> which to be fair yes <laughs> yeah he's being a bad friend he's right uh, he, he also brought up BG hitting Conan with a guitar BG says he didn't do this but Ron's like it's
2: all on you it's not the outlaw this is your behavior. Yeah, which is actually, like, some fairly nuanced, like, storytelling. Like, I don't really mind
1: this angle as it is right now. It's just the people in it. It is just the people in it. Like, they did a nice little thing at Hard Justice where where BG and the Outlaw worked together without working together, and I thought they did all that real well. But then I have to watch the Outlaw matches and they stink. He's terrible. He's so bad. Unless he's squashing people where he's, like, somewhat bearable. When he's actually having a wrestling match, he's just terrible here. Yeah. Uh, May 27th Impact opens with BG James and Ron Killings against AMW, the two teams that aren't quite getting along at the moment wrestling. BG was about to do his catchphrases before Ron grabbed the mic and is like, hell no. I liked it. You're not doing your ladies and gentlemen we're not getting along it was good good touch while AMW were making their entrance they also showed some footage last week as they kind of bickered as they walked up the ramp they were like hey man what, what happened here
2: hey, come on we gotta get on it we gotta do this
1: right so the classic tag team in a slump thing, Storm grabs a chair because they're in a slump and they need to win, slid the chair into the ring and Harris was like, I, I don't really know what to do with this. But before he could work out, Truth Axe kicked Harris's head onto the chair. TriLK win. And then my favorite thing is like, TrialK didn't really celebrate. They're still mad at each other.
2: Yeah, just because they got a win doesn't mean that they're happy. Yeah, so
1: AMW are sad they lost. TrialK are still kind of sad they won.
2: It also makes sense because 3LK aren't a team that are upset with each other because they're losing. Mm. They're upset with each other because they're upset with each other personally. AMW is the team that is upset with each other for losing.
1: Yeah, and they lost here, so they are continue to be upset. Whereas BG and Ron still have problems. Yeah. So Truth grabs a mic after the match. Outlaw tries to jump Truth, but BG pushes Truth out of the way and takes the blow. Conan then made the save. And then killing solicited shoes from the crowd to wail on the Outlaw. (laughs) That's my favorite thing. So Conan throws a shoe at him. And then... Killings is like, I also need a shoe. Crowd? And they throw like three at him. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to use my shoe. No. Uh, BG approached as Killings and Conan were beaten on the outlaw and then instinctively pushed him away. So everybody continues to be mad at each other.
2: Mm, wh- whose side is he on? That's a good
1: question. Uh,
2: Terry Taylor had AMW
1: later in the show. Harris is like real pissed. So it's like, we just lost the Trill That's where we start again. We get back up. We face Trill at the pay-per-view because uh, they hate each other more than we do. To which Terry just quipped. Do they? <laughs> which does bring us to the pay-per-view. Two matches from this story. The first of which is Ron Killings versus the Outlaw. Yes, bad match.
2: Not good. Ba- not a good match.
1: Bad, 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 bad match. I said the Outlaw's just—he's just there's
2: just nothing. There's nothing there. With
1: him. I don't even think it's a case that like he's not trying. I just think there's nothing there. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think I think he's doing he's he's doing what he's
1: doing. I don't think there's good matches in this wrestler in 2005 yeah like you put this dude out there against aj and be like you got 15 minutes tear it up have the best match you can possibly have it's still gonna be like two and three quarter stars tops yeah so outlaw hits a fame master but doesn't go for the pin he then goes for the one and only but truth reverses into a pin where outlaw's shoulders are up for literally the whole pin <laughs> Both of his shoulders are not down at any stage of Ron Killings pinning him, but the referee counts three nonetheless. Of course. Because that is the finish, and God forbid they do something that looks
2: good. The Outlaw's first loss.
1: Yeah, this is the Outlaw getting pinned for the first time. It's the classic Chris Jericho getting pinned. It's like the, you can't show the replay getting pinned. (laughs) Mm. Outlaw jumps truth after the match, hits the one and only. Outlaw grabs a chair, but BG pulls it out of his hand. Still a great move it is he hit one on Mikey Bats last month just, he, had like, he hit like four on Mikey Bats last month but all of them ruled <laughs> Outlaw grabs a chair BG pulls it out of his hands they stare down as the crowd does chant New Age Outlaws so the crowd does kind of
2: want to see them together well I, I can understand it to be honest mm-hmm. like they are an established popular tag team the crowd's probably gonna start gravitating to wanting to
1: see them also, trLk lk aren't exactly a, a, a hot, fresh act these days, so it's not like you want to see 3LK over the Outlaws. Yeah. So, BG had the chair, the Outlaw dared BG to hit him, but he didn't, then Conan runs into the ring, attacks the Outlaw, and the Outlaw bails. The new A Outlaws. <laughs> that should be their name. Uh, and then, the other match, I'll, I'll based off this on this show, is also AMW facing Tree Life Crew again. How do you feel about this? It was a worse match, I think, than their TV match, which was not great yeah i did appreciate the way they worked this to do the finish to which like they got the heat on bg and then there was a a moment of miscommunication between harris and storm where bg was about to make the hot tag but then the outlaw ran out to distract killings so killings was not there for bg to make the tag too and then amw hit the heart attack for the win so like it does not make itself particularly conducive to a great match when you just get the heat and don't do a comeback Mm. but it is a decent way to do that finish even if it like the match wasn't that long
2: it was like 7 or 8 minutes I think so at least they didn't waste their time um, was, It was. Yeah, I liked the the post match stuff at least yeah so because
1: Conan wasn't there to make the tag or the save for BG BG was really mad Rudy didn't see the outlaw at any stage and I think the story is that neither did BG so BG's like why weren't you there and Conan's like I was dealing with the outlaw and BG's like I needed you then earlier in the show they, they had a pre-tape where like we're all together we're on the same page where the three live crew we run together three deep they put their fists in for the shield fist bump yeah they did the shield (laughs) they were all together and conan here he offered the fist bump but bg declined it because he's petty. He is. And then the third way that spins off, which if you remember ages ago, was in five minutes. Uh, <laughs> Team Canada defeated AMW to become number one contenders. Then there was a, a Naturals against David Young and Lex Lovett match on the following impact.
2: Yeah, go in depth on that one.
1: So Don West, in his attempt to make David Young and Lex Lovett seem intimidating, <laughs> was just like, they've they've fair enough. They've lost every one of their matches they've ever had. But like, if you look at their similarities and the fact that they're bald, <laughs> that makes them really intimidating. <laughs> He also said they could be brothers. (laughs) They could be. They're both stocky, short, bald men. Uh, Lex Lovett learned from his old tag team partner because the Naturals pinned Lovett with a Natural Disaster and then Lovett kicked out right after three. <laughs> Lovett's like, I'm not doing a job to the Naturals. Buck Quatermain's was probably worse because he did it with DDP. But even here, he's like... Oh, that's his old friend. Oh yeah, we discovered that, that they had a match on, was it worldwide or something? We sat-
2: discovered that. <laughs> we saw a tweet from Tape Machines.
1: Yeah, Tape Machines tweeted an old match between DDP and Buck Quatermain on, was it, it was probably Saturday night or worldwide. I believe so. And, yeah, that means it was like a 10-year rivalry when they had that tag team match on Impact. See, they're,
2: they're good pals. That's why he was allowed to do the kickout. Yeah,
1: TDP was like, I get it, dude. You're you're being squashed all over here. You're a veteran journeyman. You deserve more. Do a little kickout after three.
2: You've, you've earned it. As a treat.
1: Uh, Team Canada jumped the Naturals after the match, and then PD dropped Chase with a Canadian Destroyer. So, if you'd remember, at the Hard Justice promo, they, the Naturals, while talking about the death of Chris Candido, also mentioned that a legendary advisor started getting in their ear to, to teach them things as well. That continues here. They also have a pre-tape of some stage. I think it's on this pay-per-view where they say the same thing. It's like, oh, we have a legendary manager. Mm-hmm. And Frances likes, who's it going to be? And then
2: Territale's like,
1: wait, what are you doing here? <laughs> which does lead us to the Naturals versus PD Williams and Eric Young for the NWA World Tag Team titles and a pretty good match. Yeah, it's all right. Again, it's it's one of those that's not going to blow your socks off, maybe a small bit long, but these guys work hard and have a pretty good match. Thumbs up. They get the heat on Chase for ages. Douglas makes the tag. PD was going for the Canadian Destroyer on Douglas before Jimmy Hart ran out.
2: I know you were aesthetic to see Jimmy Hart.
1: I was absolutely delighted. I did not have flashbacks to that Hulk Hogan feud that never happened. <laughs> Jimmy Hart threw a megaphone to Andy Douglas, who hit Petey with it, to retain the belts. I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that they decided to replace Chris Candida with a different manager.
2: Yeah. And it, because, co- I don't know. Yeah, it does feel a little off.
1: Like, on the one hand, I kind of get that they might still be of the opinion that the Naturals do need somebody. <laughs> they are not charismatic enough to stand on their own. So we do need to give them somebody, and Jimmy Hart's a good manager. And, like, he got a big pop when he came out, to be fair. And if you're if you're doing the Naturals' babyface turn, Naturals and Jimmy Hart make some sense. Also, Jimmy Hart's just there. Yeah, he's been there, hanging around, helping out for months and months now. But at the same time, it's just, like, they had Candido, and he died. And now he's they're just, like, new Candido! And they're doing, like, heel-cheating stuff, too mm they're still doing the Candido bits, but Jimmy Hart's like a babyface manager. I don't know, it's odd. Like it's not the final manager the Naturals will get in their TNA run, they'll get another in 06, as they, they try desperately to make the Naturals a thing one last time. I don't know, like ultimately like it is a lack of charisma that causes them to constantly think they need managers and they're probably right. They probably do need managers. Doing it so close after the death of Candido, just it, it didn't sit entirely right with me. No, it's, it, is, it is off for sure. But yeah, Naturals are still your NWA world tag team champions. That brings us to the X-Division, or the Michael Shane and... There's a lot! <laughs> yeah, busy month in the X-Division. So the Michael Shane and Chris Saban story, which has been boiling over for a couple of months now, you may remember it. Heart Justice. A real
2: gosh darn storyline in the X-Division that isn't the, the X-Division title.
1: And I like the way it like elevated itself into being an X-Division title program. Yeah. I thought they did that pretty darn well. So if you remember Hard Justice, they did the big swerve where Tracy rejoined Michael Shane, turned on Trinity and Chris Sabin. So that, that feud continues to a three-way X Division title match with Christopher Daniel.
2: How do you feel about how they did the transition?
1: Well, like it makes sense that like we did the Trinity postmortem a little too early. By the way, she's still on these shows until <laughs> until 3. We did it in the Hard Justice episode, so we don't need to do it again. But <laughs> I, re- I simply refuse. Yeah, do uh, the Remember of Trinity again, please.
2: Remember when <laughs> she was on this show? Remember when she
1: hung around a little longer than I thought she did? Yeah. Yeah, because like the both of them are slighted, so both of them are like we have an alliance of convenience to take these two down. So I thought that made sense to continue the angle. Yeah. So May twentieth, Impact. Terry Taylor has Michael Shane and Tracy. They talk about how they that they overcame a game to keep them apart because they are star-crossed lovers and nothing can keep them apart. Tracy says Shane is bigger, more muscular, and more talented in the ring than Saban ever will be, and tells tells Michael Shane to go get the X title.
2: They're so cute together.
1: They're just they're just right
2: yeah they like they have that like kind of like jock preppy girlfriend mix Mm -hmm. and i just i just think it's charming and like it works even better with like than than frankie did with them they're they're just like pairing that works together yeah
1: later in that show christopher daniels defeated Cassidy riley michael shane confronted daniels before the match demanding an x division title because tracy told him to go get it (laughs) he's like i will talk to you during your entrance (laughs) he's not a man that waits around leo when his woman tells him to go get the x title he goes and gets the x title it's true riley ran wild for a little bit with a split leg moonsault daniels took control back got knees up on the line salt points down the camera says michael shane is next and then pins riley with the angels wings michael shane jumps daniels after the match Sabin tries to make the save but accidentally dropkicks daniels daniels then hits Sabin with the sto before security separates all three as we mentioned saban and abyss also have the main event of that show where michael shane costs Sabin the match three angles for this for this program on this show by the way
2: yeah, well, you know, they had to make a, a full, like, insular story become a giant thing with the actual title so I think they did a good job
1: mm. so next show Terry Taylor has Chris Saban Saban says he's focused on his three-way match because it will be a three-way at the pay-per-view for the exhibition title to the elimination match too he should have known not to trust Tracy Trinity walks in and offers her help to Sabin. he looks leery of it they replayed what happened in the pre-tape with Shane and Tracy last week as they said that Sabin and Trinity sucked Trinity was like alright I'll take out Tracy you take out Shane deal and Saban's like deal
2: mm-hmm. so that we don't have to be friends but we both want the same thing.
1: The classic enemy of my enemy is my friend, spot here.
2: They are not friends with benefits.
1: They are not. He does not get a little kiss from Trinity. He got that from Tracy. They are not
2: friends with benefits. It's just a different kind. Not of friends, benefits. comma with benefits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so three-way match for the X Division title on the pay-per-view. Daniels retained against Chris Sabin with Trinity and Michael Shane with Tracy.
2: Yeah. Um. So this is the most. This is that famous X Division three-way mm-hmm. in TNA's history. During this Christopher Daniels X Division title run, yeah. Yeah, the one that everyone talks about.
1: The the Daniels X Division title three way that has defined TNA wrestling the only Dave Meltzer five star match.
2: Yeah. There was a moment in this match
1: where Tracy and Trinity started throwing some big chops, and I'm like, oh god, it's like a big Japanese never title match. Yeah. Kabashi Sasaki. Yeah. They're going at it, but before they did a a more standard cat fight. But they did throw like some legit great chops. Yeah. So Saban gets Shane in the cradle shock, but Daniels threatens to Angel's Wings Trinity.
2: And Saban's like, I don't really give
1: a shit. And like, the, the the story here is that Trinity's there to neutralize Tracy, and Saban is there to neutralize Shane. Trinity had already neutralized Tracy.
2: He's like, you did the job. I don't care. Saban, like, mentally, our deal's done.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. so Daniels is like, I'll do it. I'll do it. But Saban just cradle shocks Shane and pins him. <laughs> elimination. Yeah so yeah so Shane is eliminated and then Daniel's just Angels Wings Trinity anyway.
2: Cuz he's a bastard.
1: I do like the and West they are like yeah fair enough it was just business (laughs) Saban is perfectly in the right here Uh, Daniels hits the BME but Saban kicks out which I think is the first time somebody's kicked out of the BME in this company a distinct possibility that I could not possibly remember to tell you Mm. Saban went for a springboard but Daniels kicked the rope causing Saban to crotch himself before falling with the Angel's wings to retain the exhibition title good match all action I like the Trinity and Tracy stuff I thought all that was well done and Daniels and Saban had a hot little closing stretch
2: it's basically everything you expected it to be in a positive way
1: yeah you're like this match with the Tracy and Trinity story is probably not going to set the world on fire but it'll probably be a fun match with a good story and it was a fun match with a good story yeah we also had a six way open that show there was a Zach Gowen squash against Kid Romeo on TV being with a moonsault yep which Don West said reminds him of Trinity
2: <laughs> oh that's very nice
1: the Trinity-esque moonsault I like, do kind of like that like Trinity is the defining person who did a moonsault in this company so yeah give her credit <laughs> Not the person who does the best moonsault ever. No, who did the moonsault first in this company? Trinity or Chris Daniels? I couldn't tell you. I think it is Trinity. Maybe not. Daniels was slightly earlier. I'm not going to have to go back and see did he do any moonsaults in his early matches. Yeah, you have to go work this out. As opened with a six way scramble, it was Sharkboy, Amazing Red, Delirious, Zach Gow, and Clark. I wrote Delirious twice, but I meant to write Elix Skipper as one of the other names. He <laughs> did that
2: again. Yeah, he did
1: that for the main event as well. I noticed you correcting Raven written twice in the main event to, to Abyss. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for fixing. The show notes. I gotcha. Uh, I like this match. You hated it.
2: Uh, I mean, it sucked.
1: I thought it was a fun X Division scramble. They did a bunch of moves, a bunch of dives, and it's a nice way to start a show.
2: It was boring. I didn't think any of it was really cohesive. I don't care about anyone in the match. Shark Boy. I mean, like Shark Boy's fine. I like him. He's not like someone that I'm like, fuck yes, Shark Boy's in the match. Let's go. You don't care about Shark Boy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He's on the show once every two months. But he won this match. Oh, good on him. I don't know. This is. I didn't care.
1: Alex Shelley's on the show once every six months. You love him.
2: Yeah, and then he has the best match on the show. Not according
1: to your ratings, but we'll get to that in a second. I know. (laughs) Today mentions all the press Sharkboy has been getting from his Sharkboy and Lava Girl lawsuit. Well, fair enough. (laughs) I do kind of like that. Listen, if that lawsuit's not there, he's not winning this match. And they're like, yeah. you know what? He's in the press. He's got a little.
2: He has a little moment.
1: Let's let's do a little thing
2: or two with Sharkboy. It's very funny that the man who had like a big copyright dispute would eventually go on to just rip off someone else's <laughs> shtick. <laughs> yeah, listen, that's parody. They just took his name. <laughs> Sharkboy is covered
1: by the law. Thank you very much. Uh, everyone hit big dives. Clark killed Amazing Red with like that Dominator where he spikes him on his head. <laughs> yeah, just killed him with that. That's what he does. Jarrell Clark? (laughs) Young AJ Styles. (laughs) You are, you are. He is, he is. Sharkboy pinned Delirious with the deep sea drop. Continuing their explosion feud. I think this might be the payoff of their long-term explosion angle where Sharkboy pins him on pay-per-view. All right, Liam, you have the choice. Would you like to close with Alex Shelley or close with Samoa Joe?
2: Let's close with Samoa Joe.
1: So Slammiversary saw the return of Alex Shelley. Franchise had Shocker backstage. shocker Shocker said he wants to prove he's the best Mexican luchador in the world. To which Alex Shelley walked up and he's like... Says
2: now I am the best Mexican luchador in the world.
1: We all know it. But he's like, not only am I that, I can also do European wrestling. I can do American cruiserweight wrestling. I can do Japanese strong style. I got all the styles, pal. You just got your lucha. It's true. And he said, I've done all my homework on you, Shocker. And I will counter all of your moves. Yeah. And Shocker's like, he doesn't even know what he's got himself into. Which does lead us to Shocker versus Alex Shelley.
2: And it's awesome. It's a good match, isn't it? Yeah, they just go out there. They work the exact kind of match that you would expect. Shelley gets to do everything. He gets so much offense in on this. Mm. He looks good. Like, even though Shocker wins, it feels like an Alex Shelley reintroduction more than anything. Yeah, because Shocker kind of needs the
1: bounce-back win from losing to Daniels, which I think is ultimately why they probably chose Shocker to go over it than Shelley. Yeah. But it is an Alex Shelley showcase, because the story of the match is kind of laid out in the promo backstage, is that Shocker has his lucha, but Shelley has multiple styles, so he's going to try and ground him and do, like, European chain wrestling to beat Shocker instead.
2: He does the kiss on the foot.
1: Yes, which we, we realise he does in the PWG Bola teaser with Masha Slamovich, so...
2: <laughs> yeah, That's the thing that he goes to every now and again. but it's funny
1: you sent me that bola preview and i watched it and clearly you were watching at the same time because you sent me the message at the exact same time i had the thought he's like he did the shocker kiss the foot spot at that you sent me that at the same time it's very cute (laughs) uh shocker went for a moonsault but alex shelley got his knees
2: up and he got all of his knees up yes we were talking about how like getting the knees up either goes like badly and doesn't look like anything happens or it murders someone and there's no in between Hmm. And this one, he murdered him. Yeah. Knees right to the sternum. It looked awesome. Shocker
1: did a suicide dive where he connected head on head. Both guys looked a little woozy for a second there. Yeah, none of these flying nothings. None of these like flying and you only touch them with the fingers. Shocker goes head first and connects with your skull. (laughs) Which I think is even a step above Phoenix's dives, because those have reckless abandon, but they're not skull on skull. They're reckless abandonment for the crowd more than for the other wrestler, to be fair. Mm, Take out the front row, but your opponent is fine.
2: Very funny that you said that, as on my second screen, those was Zero Hours playing and Phoenix almost murdered someone. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, Phoenix. Uh, Shocker wins with the shockwave, his hammerlock small package.
1: So it turns out, despite all of Alex Shelley's scouting, he did not scout a counter to his finish.
2: <laughs> Better send him away again. Yeah, he needs six more months. We were talking about how this show did feel like the fuck you, Dusty Rhodes mm-hmm. show. How it's like, all the guys that he was like, nah, I don't see it in, they brought back. And yeah, if you're gonna throw some matches on a pay-per-view that don't have any build on TV you
1: can do an awful lot worse than Shocker versus Alex Shelley. Mm. You know, if you're just going to like, we didn't build anything, but we're going to have a good match on the pay-per-view. So we put two good wrestlers against each other and they have a good match on the pay-per-view. I don't mind that. That's fine. I'm okay with that. It's when they throw like nonsense matches that no one could possibly want on the pay-per-view. That, that's when we have a problem. Yeah. Um, before we go into our last topic,
2: mm. top five moments in TNA history.
1: Yeah, so they've been doing a vote on the website to count down the top five moments in TNA history ahead of the third anniversary. Moment number five, AJ Styles beating Jarrett for the title for the first time in 2003. That is a certified moment. It is. It does have Vince Russo attached to it, which is unfortunate. But they didn't show that bit. They didn't. (laughs) Number four, Raven's debut. A moment. Very good one. Number three, the
2: most dubious choice of all, Lockdown. All of it. Fuck you. (laughs) It's not even the best pay-per-view, first of all. Yeah. And no, a whole show can't be a moment. <laughs> it's literally
1: all of... Lo- it's not like Trinity moonsaults off a cage. It's not Jeff Hardy Swanton's and misses or does his little
2: cool butt dive. All of it. No, that's, that's, that is a bullshit one. That one should be stricken from the record. So which would you put before we continue to the final two? What would you replace it with? Does it have to be from
1: lockdown? <laughs> no, it could be from anything. Got to more showing his ass. <laughs> that hadn't happened yet. They should have known. That's a little further into the show. Uh, Number two is the Jeff Hardy debut. Yeah, that's fair. It seems a little weird just because Hardy's currently suspended, but...
2: They don't care.
1: And then number one is Elix Kipper's Cage Walk.
2: It's a spot, not a moment. A spot can... (laughs) Why
1: do do you do this to me? (laughs) I just like being a little pooper. I'm with you at... A a show can't be A moment. (laughs) Of course not. I'm on board with that one. But the spot can be a moment. Nah. Some notable ones that left off are Raven's head shave. Yes. Which I would have put in. Might be a little too graphic. They don't want to keep bringing it up. Yeah. AMW's death sentence off a cage. Yep. Uh, the Don Callis-Eric Watts match. Yes. Uh, the Mike Barton Perry Saturn match of course all of Goldilocks it's just well hmm, you know what yeah Goldilocks' hidden camera show (laughs) yeah Goldilocks' hidden camera show should be there that's a good point the Dup Cup match yep or simply the explanation of the Dup Cup rules I, I have another suggestion okay Puppet pulling a gun oh that's that's the classic TNA moment that's true that should be there yeah. Because I guess we didn't talk. This is the third anniversary show. Yes. Three years of TNA. Yes. They said they wouldn't last three months. They said <laughs> they wouldn't last three weeks. <laughs> Here they are, three years. Yeah, we're
2: we've, we've going we've got to do that every anniversary now. Yep. How do you feel? How do you feel about three years of TNA? 70% of it has been utter shite, mm-hmm. but there's been some good moments. So within
1: the other shite, like... What percent of that 70% is, like, watchable other shite versus, like, unwatchable other shite?
2: Like, 40%. 40% of it's been, like, watchable, but not good. 30% of it's been completely irredeemable. Mm. And then there's been, like, 30% that was, like, kind of good. Yeah, because, like, stuff like Sports Entertainment Extreme wasn't good, but I enjoyed it. It was watchable. Yeah. So, like, that, that would fall in the 40%, right? Yeah. Okay. Mostly it's the boring nothing stuff that is the, like... They're completely unwatchable, unre- irredeemable stuff.
1: And given this is our first, not quite a full month, it's two impacts on a pay-per-view, but you've had a pay-per-view where they had to deal with like the, the leftovers of the dusty booking, and then a pay-per-view cycle and this pay-per-view. How are you feeling about the new
2: regime? Um, I'm into it so far. I don't want to give it too much credit yet, because this was a very particular set of circumstances. Mm. I want to see how they go when they have to do a full month. Yeah, there's like better
1: fundamentals. We were talking about like we're building TV main events, announcing things, doing all that kind of stuff. The eye for talent is obviously much better. You could argue it's Demore's guys, but Demore's guys are Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, Team Canada, and then also the man we'll talk about in a moment to round out the show. Like, like there is a better eye for talent, a better eye for bringing in good wrestlers. There's the if we're gonna have a random match on the show, it'll be a good X Division match instead of a terrible Fyde Alpha Slam match. <laughs> so yeah, there's a there's a bunch of small things that are like, like this. Just it, it can't not make the show better. Yeah. As we head into the fourth full year of TNA with a little bit of hope. It's not like, like the last six months has been weird. And that like, there's been, yeah, some, there's been ups and downs. There has been real high-end stuff. Some of the better high-end stuff in the history of the company, but also like the minute to minute has been kind of like not too much better than the Dutch and Jarrett regime.
2: The same kind of 70-30 split, to be honest.
1: No, I think the Dutch and Jarrett stuff was worse because you, you, you didn't have a four star, right? No, I mean like the whole period. Oh, right. Yeah. But, like, you do get, like, the, the, the real big Styles pay-per-view matches. You do get the big AMW matches. Like, some of, some of the best matches this company has done so far under the Dusty book. And then the rest is, like, the rest of the minute of the TV is it's just it's just kind of dull. Mm-hmm. But that does bring us to round out the show. The TNA Wrestling debut of Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe faces Sanjay Dot in his debut. TNA went into overdrive as Samoa Joe comes out. He's like, I have wanted to see this man live for years. Yeah. I've seen him on DVD. I have wanted to see this man in person for years. He is a special professional wrestler. And like he ran down how Samoa Joe had been Ring of Honor champion for like two years at that stage. How he's only been pinned once in like four years. How he has absolutely dominated Ring of Honor. Absolutely dominated independent wrestling. Had great performances in Japan. And now he's finally coming to TNA on the national stage. Mm-hmm. like there's a lot of capital d discourse <laughs> in professional wrestling about how you introduce new wrestlers to an audience yeah they didn't run a video package they didn't show you a second of them other than walking out the tunnel and my name made this man feel special in 45 seconds just with words
2: yeah i mean it's also, it helps that it is samoa joe mm-hmm. and his aura is just palpable yeah but, like, they made him feel like a gigantic deal. I do wonder if we could have, like, watched this with zero Samoa Joe context, how we would have felt.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing, because we we talked about this a little in the watch-along, about how people were, like, honestly afraid of, like, Joe is known for working these big epic main events in Ring of Honor at this stage.
2: Yes. Well, we just heard Punk and his
1: like reservations yeah he wants to work his 45 minute match and people were like honestly worried about how Samoa Joe would translate to television wrestling even like in the best case scenario where TNA are using him well which was not a guarantee based on what you saw from TNA in the first three years of its existence that it would use Samoa Joe particularly well but based on the best case scenario it's like how would this dude who's used to working 20 to 30 minute epics in Ring of Honor how will he translate to working 5 minute TV matches and it turns out real well but that was an honest question with him coming in Mm-hmm and as you said you can't take yourself into the experience of being like never seeing Samoa Joe before I guess you can if you think back to the first time you saw Samoa Joe because neither of us grew up TNA or Ring of Honor viewers so we would we would have seen Joe at some stage for the first time like randomly in TNA or Ring of Honor and it, for me probably would have been watching like the best of the Division DVD so it would have been like some of these matches so I guess we can kind of think back to that experience seeing him for the first time and like seeing his credibility and his see
2: but like I saw Samoa Joe in like 2009 or 8 that mm. was my first time that's the different. different Samoa Joe after he fell on those steps. Yeah, until 2022, for some reason, it's almost like it wasn't actually the thing that did it.
1: <laughs> no, because like you, you'd see it when he'd wrestle like real good wrestlers, and he's just he wasn't Samoa Joe. And I think it helps that he's been wrestling Tarpy Allen, and that helps a great deal
2: because someone said apologies. to me the other day that um they missed Samoa Joe in WWE, oh. and I was like, listen, you have your opinion, that's fine. You're wrong. But this guy, I haven't felt the connection to Samoa Joe like I have this year since I've seen like the stuff from. 2004 and 2005. You know what that dude misses? Mm. That one promo that goes viral every three months. Yeah, 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 that's a great promo, to be fair. It's phenomenal. Here we talk. Let's talk about Joe and WWE. Mm. I do think, like, he never had the match quality. No. But I do think he was, like, his character... And, like, how good he is just as in presence alone. He did always feel like a deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, whenever he would get his big spots, he always delivered in the big spots. It's just the matches couldn't keep up. Yeah, it was always the thing in TNA where it's like, he would be booked terribly. He'd be
1: in the mid-card doing nothing. And he'd come out on one of the impacts they did on the road. And he'd get one of the biggest reactions.
2: Yeah. He still has an aura about him. He has that aura. And he's just earned it. He's earned that from the audience. He has a veteran, like... Swagger that like permeates from his body. Yeah, and there's there's something about
1: like I I know what it is about 2020.
2: He, he worked Darby Allen, and Darby Allen was willing to die
1: for some old show. <laughs>
2: But, like, he's keeping that same energy outside of Derby as well.
1: Yeah, but the Derby matches were a level above. The Derby matches are the only matches Samoa Joe has had since 2012 that have felt like Samoa Joe. Like, truly Samoa Joe. I wonder if him and Briscoe will will capture that a bit. Interested to see how that goes, especially because they have some very famous matches before to live up to. Yes. They should chuck it in a cage. So, yeah, the one thing, like, Joe has, the one, like, defining characteristic of Samoa Joe is just his credibility and his aura. And as you said, that even translates to WWE. Like, when he cuts a pro, it's the same thing we were talking about with jay briscoe it's like you look at that man's eyes and you believe it you just believe it
2: yeah and part of that also comes from like i don't know if samoa joe does have that about him Mm. if he wasn't the best wrestler in the world for a period
1: yeah there's like a swagger and a confidence that comes with that yeah that just doesn't go away because it's funny, we talk about him in WWE where like so many people go to WWE and they just can't do a WWE promo because there's a very specific thing that WWE promos are.
2: Cadence, a style.
1: Yeah, and it's usually impossible to do them well while still being a good pro wrestling promo. Yeah. And Samoa Joe could because he's just, he has it. He just has that. He has that credibility. He has that aura. Yeah. And you see it immediately when he walks down the tunnel here. Where the crowd do know who he is, there is Joe Chance as he picks his entrance
2: a tepid chance but it's
1: not like it's a completely new audience it's not like johnny gargano yeah, exactly. coming out after an nxt run oh. <laughs> these modern nxt it's funny how that used to that works isn't it? it's like it used to be the case that a guy coming from nxt used to get this huge reaction when they showed up on the main roster and now it's like we don't know who you are yeah because it's bad now weird how that changes but people are still watching it but i guess they don't care about the people less people not that many less people, but people don't care. Like more people are watching it now than were when Johnny Gargano was like at his peak on the WWE network. Substantially more, but nobody cares. I think that's the difference, nobody cares. Mm.
2: Anyway, Samoa so Joe and Sanjay dud So
1: within the first minute, Sanjay tries to get some offense in, and Joe just kills him with a J- an ST Joe. I love the ST Joe so much. It might be my favorite move in pro wrestling. And he spikes Sanjay right in his neck and shoulders. Yeah. Uh, Sanjay said that that knocked him out as well. That was a flash knockout.
2: But he bounces back and does all his shit, so... Mm.
1: So yeah, Joe beats the hell out of Sanjay, but Sanjay gets a bunch going with his flying, including taking Joe off his feet with a drop kick, which is an interesting choice. It's a 450 for an ear fall.
2: Yeah. See, so, like, we were talking about, like, how much... Sanjay gets in this and you're right we're like I having Sanjay get a lot of stuff does add to the Joe sort of his ability to take punishment and deliver it back Mm. there was just a couple things where I'm like maybe they took it a touch too far and maybe like listen it works
1: out fine (laughs) Joe this this, this isn't the match that kills Samoa Joe He's, he's perfectly fine no, that's one with stairs mm. it is the case that you'd be like if you were booking this match joe probably shouldn't leave his feet if you were like being yeah. really traditionalist about it and like joe does leave his feet sanjay drops it off his feet he hits a 450 for again it's not a near fall really joe kicks out with plenty of time but he does hit a 450 he gets something in and i, I do think there is traditionalists who would be like oh you, you killed joe here by having him sell too much for sanjay and uh, thank you for adding near fall in the show notes <laughs> in, in inverted commas <laughs> Yeah, but I do think it's a really important part of the Samoa Joe character and TNA in particular that he always showed just enough vulnerability that you thought everybody could beat him because he's going to go on a run of matches here on pay-per-view where every time he wrestles like you honestly believe at one stage that the guy he's wrestling can beat him. And
2: I do think that's important. Yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense.
1: Sanjay misses the Hindu press Joe falls with a muscle buster and a coquina clutch and Mike Tenay utters the words for the very first time. That the Samoan Submission Machine has won the match.
2: I didn't know that that was a Tanae call.
1: Neither did I. I. I was thinking about that. I was looking that up because I actively looked that up uh, after I said, like, when was he called Samoan Submission Machine? Because I was like, was that a TNA nickname? And apparently it was. It was the thing Mike Tanae said here after he won the match. It's a great name. It is. There's, there's an, uh, and Again, I think it's it's actively trying to call back to Taz. I think that's a, a deliberate choice. Sure. But like Samoan Submission Machine, it just, it has good mouth feel. Yeah, It does. It works, and Samojo has defeated Sanjay in his debut. And, like, Sanjay, again, going back to, like, can you kill Sanjay? Sanjay is kind of a guy. He's not, like, a pushed act, but he's just back. You can't, like, kill him, kill him. He's not not, excellent.
2: Same acronym as Super Strong Machine as well. Mmm,
1: they should be a tag team.
2: That would be a fantastic tag.
1: There was some surprise that he was being an X division guy instead of a heavyweight guy, obviously because of his size. Yeah. But whatever you always said, Liam.
2: It's not about weight limits, it's about no limits, except for that time it was about weight limits. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's not for a while, we can't bury that for another like 10 years.
2: Joe has apparently been
1: encouraged to just do his thing by TNA management, and he will remain nice. with Ring of Honor with occasional tours of Japan, as we stated,
2: that's part of his deal.
1: Samojo released a statement to PW Torch regarding his decision to sign with TNA to appear at Slammiversary.
2: Do it in the cadence of a Samoa Joe promo.
1: I anticipate my entrance into TNA and look forward that's not really Joe is it? <laughs> look
2: forward to working. No it, it, it goes like this it's like this would be like I anticipated my entrance into TNA and look forward to working with them in addition to Ring of Honor and New Japan's LA office. Police note that my talks were very preliminary but positive. My decision to work with TNA was sparked by several factors at this time I have <laughs> very several professional and personal commitments that are much more easily fulfilled within these working circumstances. I have read such wild speculation on why I have some of TNA but to clear the record i do so because it is of sound financial benefit to me and my family wow it was like i was listening to samoa joe right there i know Uh, you know what helped what samoa joe wardlow recap on my second screen (laughs) at
1: the same time he was actually mouthing those words along with you Ah, that's uh, that's how i encompassed it it's funny that people thought there was like conspiracy theories here yeah i guess the fact that punk is going to WWE this month and joe isn't maybe people had like thoughts about why that's the case or
2: I remember, like, hearing stuff about it. Mm. Like, in retrospect, obviously.
1: I know McFoley Foley says in his book that he, like, pushed hard for WWE to sign Joe. Yeah. But, like, if you were to ask yourself the question, why didn't WWE sign Samoa Joe in 2005? The answer is Vince McMahon took one look at him. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's as simple as that. It's like, do you really think Vince is going to push that guy
2: here? Yeah. Not an absolute hope. Mm. There was also a quote from Gabe Sapolsky. I love this. I'm going to put this all in italics because I want people to go through and read it. I thought that Samojo's TNA
1: debut was perfectly booked and then perfectly executed by Joe and Dutt, he told PW Torch, It was the perfect introduction of Joe to a new product and I'm sure TNA will do some great business with them and they really have people hungry to see more of him. It was very nice of them to mention OROH and Joe's history in OROH and I'm glad they could use it to give Joe some accolades in his
2: debut. Because like, Gabe doesn't say nice things about other companies very often. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's nice that like even he was like, good on you and oh my god Sanjay Dutt is on my screen now
1: (laughs) as always AEW is a TNA tribute show
2: it really is
1: just Do the six-sided ring cowards, they're all over it, but yeah, it is nice to see him put them over. And like, this is a different era of TNA and Ring of Honor. This is probably the closest they would be until Ring of Honor nearly went out of existence and they were in a working relationship. But then Ring of Honor went under, and there was a Ring of Honor stable, and there was a Ring of Honor title matches and impact. But that's not for another like 16-17 years,
2: or until we get to my favorite stage of pro wrestling ever when NXT, ROH, and TNA were all like on the same day and Lucha Underground. Yeah, what, what a perfect pro wrestling existence that was, which
1: will be our next patreon show and we're through all of the 2012 pwgs so you can look forward to that yeah as we cover season one of lucha underground but yeah and like listen tna and gabe and ring of honor are playing ball at the moment like they did sign joe to a deal that did not take him away from ring of honor and i believe they're laxing rules on all the stuff that was instituted post feinstein saga where all the tna guys were pulled and a bunch of tna guys can work ring of honor again so tna and ring of honor are on good terms
2: so i think he was just being nice but also, he's right. It was the perfect debut for Samoa Joe. I always like hearing... Because, you know, I think Gabe can dissect other people's wrestling booking really well. And I like hearing him when he does. Mm. And I think, like, this was a... it's I, yeah, He's just an interesting guy, even, like, outside of his own booking.
1: Other than his obsession with NFT. mm yeah you could not have debuted Joe better in that you established him as a man with credibility immediately Mike Tanay, all-time great announced job in that 45 seconds of Samoa Joe's entrance where he just establishes this dude as a guy before you can see him do a move and then the rest is he's just Samoa Joe he destroys Sanjay Sanjay sells a bunch for him they show just the right amount of vulnerability you could argue maybe a little too much but it works and Joe wins taps him out and is crowned the Samoan submission machine hell yes a nickname that would stick so that is TNA from June 2005 We'll be back in two weeks with a special free preview of patreon we'll be posting the first global force wrestling series for free in the main feed and then we'll be back two weeks after that with our no surrender 2005 July 2005 episode so we'll be taking a little two-week break but you'll still get the free gfw episode in your in your main feed and we'll be back next week on patreon with the next episode of gorilla and
2: there's more stuff on the patreon too if you're not cheap
1: yeah <laughs> calling people out like the next episode of gorilla radio which will be there next week as well as our watch along of slam anniversary 2005 which is also there waiting for you right now head to tnhat.com patreon.com slash kidding me where you can support the show and get a
2: ton of extra us we talk for so much longer and uncensored sure (laughs) we're not beholden to the media standards of the voices of wrestling network of course so uncensored A little bit of a
1: shorter episode, this one, but listen, when there's only two TVs, what can you do?
2: It's still, we still had like two
1: hours for two TVs in a pay-per-view. That's true. <laughs> so you can follow us on Twitter at TNA History Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Garcudney. Follow Liam on Twitter at TheGleetMuda. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at You've Got To Be Kidding Me or follow us on TikTok at TNA History. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. <laughs>